Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and praise you that you're the healer. That you're the savior, you're the deliverer, you're the provider, you are everything. And without you, we can't even take a breath. But Lord, with you, nothing is impossible. We have to believe and receive what you've already given us. And Lord, if we don't know what you've done for us, then we can't receive by faith what has already been provided through the cross. But Father, thank you for the word. Lord, I ask you to open our hearts, open our ears so that we may receive and hear and see the word today where we can receive what rightfully belongs to us. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the word. I thank you and praise you for everybody that comes and helps me. I'm so grateful for all the people you have put together, Lord, in the ministry that is, that is here to help us to do these wonderful things and to teach your people. And, Lord, all these people, all of us, we all work for you, Lord. You're so great. You're so awesome. And we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Now, Lord, bless us as we go into the healing school today. As we teach your word, may you speak. And may I get out of the way and let you do everything today. Because only you know these things. And may you speak through me. And may you do great and mighty things for your people here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now then, I just happen to think, too, if you have one of these things, you know, like me, <clears throat> put it on something, vibrate, silent, or turn it off or something, because if you don't, it'll go off uh, during the course of the day. Now then, <clears throat> to start out today, I would like to ask, is there anybody here that's had a healing or a miracle or something that you want to come up here and give God some glory for. Anybody have a testimony that you want to tell us about that the Lord has done for you? Anybody? Anybody have one? You have one, young lady? Come up here and let me get a mic here. Turn this on. I want you to know what the Lord has done for you. Hold it up close. Okay. Um, my name is Joanne. I'm from uh, Philadelphia. And I was diagnosed with uh, cancer two years ago. And through some surgeries and working with a Christian doctor, I found God and started connecting with him. And the first surgery, I was healed. And then it came back again. We continued on working with God. And doctors basically said that I wasn't going to make it. And I have three young children. And uh, I continued believing in God. And the therapies that I had gone through were all cut down. And I was healed the second time. And uh, I'm back again devil's after me big time. I don't know what it is I have to do for God, but he's after me again and it's back. And uh, I've been ignoring that it's back. And I don't, I don't believe that I have cancer. I believe God's already healed me. But in the meantime, I still, the devil's still after I give me some symptoms. And uh, this past Monday, I was in to see another doctor to try to help get over this, uh, the cancer. And I ended up um, bleeding terribly as I was going to go get this uh, vitamin C treatment. And I sat in the bathroom and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan, you have no hold over my body and you're not going to stop me no matter what. And I am going to go to Texas and I'm going to meet Thurman and I'm going to do everything I need to do. And I'm ignoring this because you just don't have any hold over me. And uh, the next morning I woke up and I said, God, usually I ask you, don't let it scare me and give me peace of mind. But this time I said, God, I'm trusting you that this is gone. And uh, the bladder infection with all the bleeding was gone. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Praise the Lord. All you got to do is stand on the Word. Who else? Somebody else? Uh, who, who else had their hand up? Do you have your hand up? No. Who, somebody was back here. 
Praise the Lord. If God's done something for you, you need to tell what He's done for you. Well, my name is Randy, and I've shared this with y'all before. You know, I came here my first time uh, four months ago when I met you, and and uh, you gave a sermon on uh, God healing a, healing an epileptic. And I had epilepsy. I had epilepsy. Amen. And, uh, and I thought, you know, there, there's times when you prayed for me that day, rode my motorcycle home that, that same day, and... When I got back to the church where I attend, uh, the upper room in Denton, uh, I was going in my pocket to get my prescription bottle for my medicine. Because it was time to take my medicine again, and my bottle was gone. And so I haven't had any medicine since that day. But the devil tried to come up against me a couple times and remind me, you know, tell me I still got that stuff. And I never did claim it, but one of my friends would say, Randy, you look like you're fixing to have a seizure. Are you okay? I said, no. You know, that's when I get consciously aware of it. I said, no, I don't have epilepsy no more. I'm not going to have no seizures. But uh, it's our, if, if we're revisited with it, I think it's because of our own doubt that we put in our, you know, we speak it. You know, like you said about the lady that got healed of, of a tumor off her breast, she said, I can't believe it. And next thing you know, it was back. It came back. You know, so don't claim it and don't receive it. Because I was healed of epilepsy four months ago when I came to see you. Amen. And I claim the healing today, and I thank God for it. So uh, that's all I wanted to say. And I take Amen. the chance. Any chance I get to tell people how much I love the Lord, I'm going to take it. Amen. So, praise the Lord. You. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's great. What you can do if you believe Jesus. Anybody else? Okay, back over here. Come up here. Praise the Lord. Jesus does wonderful things for us. We want to give Him the glory. It's okay now. It's okay. Hold it up close and just talk. <laughs> it's wonderful. Jesus does wonderful things for us. Praise the King. What is your name? My name is Anna. Anna? Praise the Lord. And I speak on my Father's behalf. A wonderful miracle about a year ago. Um... He suffered cardiac arrest, and, uh, of course, the doctors, you know, said in the morning, uh, told the nurses that night, call call me in the middle of the night when he passes on, because I guess the uh, the, uh, survival rate is uh, one out of 200, and, uh, of course, to this day, he's uh, he's alive and well, praise God. And uh, in addition to that, had had three mini strokes and probably uh, I think a minor heart attack. In addition to the cardiac arrest, so he's he's doing wonderful. Thank the Lord. That's two years ago when they said he wouldn't make it, and now he's doing about well. Year, about a year now, yeah. Amen. Praise yes, the Lord. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. Jesus is wonderful, isn't he? He's wonderful. Praise the Lord. All you got to do is stand on the Word. Anybody else? Anybody else here? Come up here, brother. <clears throat> Amen. Tell us what Jesus do, does for you. Hi, my name is Mike. Uh, a year ago, our daughter had uh, was pregnant. And uh, at 29 weeks, uh, she developed uh, extremely high blood pressure. She was hospitalized. And 
the doctor had said, it's not looking good because we could lose her and the baby. Uh, our whole family went into prayer and, and intercession for her. And that night, I got to the hospital about 6 o'clock. And her husband and I had a very brief discussion. He said, uh, well, I'm just dealing with reality. And I said, no, there's a higher reality. And the doctor said, well, we're going to monitor this every hour because her blood pressure was running in the 240s. And, and as soon as they reach that in a high-risk pregnancy, there's no help for the mother and there's no help for the baby either. He had not, at 29 weeks, had lung capacity to live. So when she got in there, they gave her a, a steroid shot to help develop his lungs very quickly. And yet he needed several days in order to fully develop and be able to breathe outside. And uh, the, the Lord miraculously sustained her. Her blood pressure went down. And the next morning, a doctor came in and said, I've never seen this. I've called colleagues. This uh, doctor, that uh, OB-GYN, that does high-risk pregnancies, she said, in all my years, I've never seen anyone. Once your, li once your liver functions and once your blood pressure hits that point, it never goes down. It's impossible for it to go down. But with God, it was impossible. Amen. And he was, he was born uh, two pounds. Uh, little itty bitty guy had all kinds of problems, but now a year later, he's doing great. He's growing and Amen. getting faster and better and quicker, and God can deliver. Amen. All things. All things Don't are look possible. at the reality of what you see. Look at the reality of what is, and that's God. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's exactly right. Amen. Now then, anybody else? Anybody else out here? You got a testimony? Wait a minute. Let's see what let's see what this lady's got. Then I'll bring the mic over there to you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Hi, I'm Donna. I just wanted to encourage the gentleman that uh, that has battled some epilepsy. Um, I grew up a Church of Christ. In fact, my dad is a Church of Christ preacher. And uh, when my daughter, um, she's 19 now, but when she was 8, she started having seizures. And she would walk into walls and all kind of things like that. And uh, we did what any normal Church of Christ people do. We went to the doctor. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she went on medication well, my next-door neighbors, um, moved, the people that moved in next door were Pentecostal. And so they began talking to me about that God can heal and whatnot. And I thought, well, I just don't know what to do. So I started reading the scripture out of James. So I called um, one of the elders at church that I thought might come over, <laughs> and he did. And so I, I tried to prepare my daughter that we we're just going to pray over her. He's going to put some oil on her, and we would just ask God to heal her. And so she cried and cried because the only oil she knew of was the oil out in your car. And she thought we were going to drain oil out of the car. It would have made any it difference. It would have worked. <laughs> no, but that was her perception. She'd see her dad change the oil. You know, it's, it's dirty. And so I convinced her, no, 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 this is like cooking oil we're going to put on you. So he came over, and he anointed her with oil, and he prayed really a beautiful prayer. I have no idea if he had any faith for it or not. I really don't. But but I did. You had faith. And so, anyway, he prayed for her. And then I took her to the doctor and I said, I want to take her off the medicine, but I want you to tell me how to do it so it's safe. Because that was my perception. And he said, okay. And he told me how to do it. So in, in about three weeks, we had her off of everything. 
And she's 19 years old now and has never had another seizure. Amen. And it's just awesome. Amen. Praise the Lord. You mean there's hope even for the Church of Christ. Huh? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, let me bring this over here and see what kind of testimony this precious lady here's got. On August 27th, I had a small stroke and a heart attack. And uh, we were in the Walmart parking lot here in Denton. And um, it was 102 that day. And, um, I, of course, I went down. And it was about 45 minutes before the ambulance got there and stabilized me. So, uh, of course, I was unconscious at that time. And um, I had third-degree burns all the way down by the back of my legs and my, some on my rear. And um, I was dead on arrival. <laughs> So they stabilized me in the, in the ambulance. And then when I got to the hospital, I died again. And um, then they stabilized me again, and then I was slipped into a coma. And I was in a coma for 21 days. And I'm, I'm a Pentecostal. And um, my husband, he stayed by my side. My church, they came was with me the whole time. I mean, when they could, you know. I was in ICU, and um, the in three weeks what was it three weeks? Three weeks into it, three weeks into the coma, I was I didn't have any brain activity, no couldn't no lung functions. Um, they just said, you know, there's no hope. You know, they were telling my husband, you know, might as well just give up and go get a funeral plot, pretty much. And now uh, he said, no, I'm gonna give her some more time. And three days later, I came out of the coma, and um, it was it was just amazing, you know. When I when I came out, I, he wasn't there, but I seen my mom. She was standing over me, and it was it was a beautiful thing, you know. I seen, and God gave me a second chance at life because I wasn't doing too good. I wasn't before then. I was doing some things that I shouldn't be, and um, now I just praise God that. Hey. He gave me a second chance, and um, I'm just going to do this time for the best. And I will walk again. I can walk again. I just have to get my strength back. Amen. But God can work miracles, and I am living proof of a miracle right now. Amen. And I want everybody to know this, that, it, it, you know, anything can happen through God Christ. He is He is, He is a God, and uh, He's our only God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm not going to get at this. I didn't know she was going to do this, but... That's okay. Um, Praise the Lord. But see, I know... I'm not going to... Um, I know she's a miracle because the Lord kind of set me up for this. You know, the Lord, He sees the big picture. And I drive a truck, and He put some scriptures on my heart. And uh, I didn't know what for then, but see, the you know, the Bible says that if two of you agree on earth isn't touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them and my Father... And um, and then and uh, well, anyway, when this happened, we was walking into Walmart, and um, she fell out. She had that stroke and everything. And well, this lady, she come up and she said, "Sir, I feel led to pray for you." Well, she didn't say I want to pray for you, but she said, "I feel led to pray for you." So I believe that was the Lord sending her over. And he said, and then that told me right there that if two of you agree. So you know, 
The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and that he is rewarded to those who diligently seek him. So I had to have faith. Even though I seen my wife take her last breath, you know, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but evidence of things not seen. I didn't see it, but I knew that God was bigger than, than that. The doctor said that she wouldn't live, but um, uh, I didn't. I didn't listen to them, you know, because I knew better. Right. You know, I was steadily writing scriptures up on their wall. And then when she pulled through that, you know, they said, well, she might live, but she'll never know who you are. But um, And all that, I can't lie. I mean, with them and my friends and everybody putting doubt in my head, I mean, I guess I started doubting. Well, I asked the Lord, I said, can you give me a word? And he took me to Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let's hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's, he is faithful that promised. And uh, so, so God is good. He brought us through this, you know. He uh, He gave me the comfort and the strength that I needed. The Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And and uh, and I just rejoice in the Lord always, you know, because the Bible tells me to. And, and I knew that he was going to pull us through this. And, and then, like I said, I'm not good at this, but I love the Lord, and I give him praise, and I give him the glory today. But you know he's a healer, don't you, son? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. Now then, the one thing, the one thing that we've seen here, we've seen some miracles, and we've seen some healings. Now this is the difference. God does these things in two ways. One of the things that that we all love and understand is whenever we pray and God does a miracle and we instantly get healed, you know, we love that, don't we? Yeah. If one of us has something wrong with us and someone comes up and prays a prayer of faith for us and the problem instantly goes away, that's what everybody loves. Because, you know, I mean, we're microwave technology, you know. I mean, uh, today we put a whatever in the microwave and push a button and it's going to take 30 seconds and you're sitting there pounding on the microwave saying, hurry up, I need that right now. You know, where our grandmothers and grandfathers would have to go out and get a little wood, bring it, put it in the stove, build a fire, and an hour later the stove's hot and you can heat something, you know. So they didn't know the microwave technology that we know today, you know. So we today get in a hurry. And this is one of the tactics that the enemy is using to defeat so many Christians. Now then, healings we all love. But miracles we love better. Now, a miracle, like the other day, whenever, and I love this, and I, I, do, I see this every once in a while. I've had the privilege to see things like this, but the other day, just a few weeks ago, whenever this doctor from Salt Lake City called me, and Tuesday he had fell out of a tree 35 feet up and broke his back. Now, they care flighted him out of the mountains took him to a hospital, and they done a CT scan on him, and the CT scan confirmed his back is broken big time. I mean, 35 feet's a long ways to fall. You know, the top of this building here is not quite 20 feet, so he was almost twice that high, and he fell to the ground and broke his back. Well, they took him home and put him in his bed because he would not receive surgery or anything. And then on Sunday, he called some friends that knew me, and he invited Cheryl and I to come out there on Monday. And he said, I'll pay y'all's round-trip airplane ticket. I want you to come out here and pray for me. 
So I told through friends that I would do this, and so they set up their uh, airplane reservations. But I told them, I said, have him call me on my cell phone before the night's over. So at 10 o'clock on Sunday night, I was down to the post office to show you how God does things. We were down to the post office uh, after going home from church Sunday night. And he called, and while Cheryl went in and get the mail, I'm talking to him. And then on the way home, I'm praying for him. And then I use Mark 11:23. Now Mark 11:23 makes this awesome statement. Mark 11:23 says, if, "If you have faith, you can speak to a mountain, and the mountain will be removed." And he says, "Now if you do not doubt in your heart, that mountain will be removed." Says, so, "So therefore, if you have faith and do not doubt." Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you shall have whatever you say. Now, that's a pretty awesome statement from the king of the universe. And he's the one that made that statement to you and me. I used that promise, and I told him, I said, Now, I'm going to pray the prayer of faith, and I'm going to ask the Father in Jesus' name to do a complete healing on your back. And I did. And I said, Now then, on behalf of Mark 11:23. I'm going to guarantee you're going to get a supernatural healing from the king, and his name is Jesus. And I thank the Lord for doing it, and I hung up the telephone. Well, we go ahead and get go home, and we're unloading the car from the church stuff and everything, getting ready and everything, and about 15 total minutes has passed, and my f- cell phone rang. And I answered it, and it's Dr. Gary Young from Salt Lake City. He said, Thurman. My pain went away when you said, thank you, Lord. And he said, I scooted over to the edge of the bed. I put my feet on the floor. I stood up. No pain. He said, I bent over and no pain. He said, I walked up the stairs and back down and no pain. He said, I picked up my 17-month-old son and I ran up the stairs and back. He said, I am already completely healed. Now, don't we love it when God does those kind of things? Now see, but he don't always do those kind of things. Now why? Well, he has things that he teaches us through these. Now then, he taught some people some wonderful things because Dr. Gary Young's a Mormon. He's a Mormon. And when we flew out there the next day, he personally picked us up in his own car and took us to his home. And we had the privilege to teach about the Jesus that's the healer that in the Mormon church, there's not been a recorded miracle in over 100 years. But we got to teach many of those people out there about the Jesus that is the healer. The King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. It was awesome to see the Lord do that. Now, now, boy, that's what we all like. I mean, when we get a miracle, we love it, don't we? Yeah, that's what we all, yes, my lovely wife, she's the first one to say yes when something's wrong with her. She comes running to her priest and says, honey, I got this. Pray for me right now. And if it's not done time, she walks away. She turns to me and says, you must have sinned. God hadn't healed me yet. <laughs> because she's had so many awesome, wonderful miracles from the Lord. Now, that's the way it should be. You know, if you are the priest in your home and you're walking in obedience to the word, and the devil attacks you or one of your children, your wife, or whatever, you should be able to go over and lay your hands on your wife, rebuke that spirit, command him to leave in Jesus' name, and virtually see a miracle every time as the priest of your home. But if you don't see a miracle every time, you've got to still realize it's done. 
it's done. Now then, if it's not done in a day, or we begin to waver. If it's not done in a week, we really begin to waver. And if we hadn't changed in a month, we know God didn't hear us. You know. But today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a man to come down here that has fought this battle with this intensive disease that he had all of his life, that his grandmother had all of her life, his mother had all of her life, and he had it 40 years of his life. And I'm going to ask Dave Rosenfeld to come down here right now and to tell you how he beat this devil and how long it took. Now, this is Dave Rosenfeld, and Dave has one of the most awesome testimonies that you'll ever hear. And I want you to tell it to them in detail, Dave. Well, they all had pretty good testimonies, too. I know, but you've got an awesome one. Though. This one here is very awesome. This so. one's awesome to me. Yeah. Uh, the, the history that I dealt with, like he said, was my mom. My grandmother had been born with eczema. My mother had been born with it. And I was born with it. And the pastor taught us a long time ago that all sickness is caused by sin. And I... <laughs> so go ahead and tell them what hurt. I'm not used to having feedback, so okay. it's just it's it's weird to hear myself coming back into. So we'll cut that out of the tape though later, Dave. <laughs> and I took pictures as I was going through my battle, so that if somebody wants to see them later to see what it looked like, I'll, I'll show you. But I want to encourage like Randy here and this young lady for for certain. It does take some time. To, to see your healing manifest. I had gone to school and I'd gone to the medical community at school and said, I need some help with this eczema. And they pretty much said, there's nothing we can do. So when I graduated school, I got a pretty good paying job and I said, all right, I have medical insurance. I'm going to find a, a care provider to help me with this eczema. And they said, sorry, we can't do anything for you, but here's a whole box of steroid cream you can use. And so I turned to the alternative health, med- the alternative health community and said, they said, well, you need to change your diet. You need to start exercising, a whole bunch of things. And I'd do all the right things, and it still wouldn't fix it. And then we came and heard about Thurman. And Thurman taught about all sicknesses caused by sin. And I knew that... I had certainly, if, if it wasn't for my parents' sin, I had certainly exacerbated my problem by the sins I had committed. And you, like you had mentioned, it was you knew you weren't doing quite right. I knew I wasn't doing quite right. Well, Thurman was the first time he nailed it down and said, look, if you're not doing quite right, you're going to be all wrong. <laughs> so I was all wrong. <laughs> so Thurman was sharing the story about Cody. Right, Cody. Uh, we'd come to a healing school, and he was sharing the story about Cody. Cody was a little... Six-year-old that couldn't keep his food down, and he he had listened through the through the healing service, and he come running up afterwards and said, "Pastor, I want you to pray for me." And pastor says, "Do you believe Jesus will heal you?" He says, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir." So Cody he, he prays for Cody, and he'll probably elaborate on the story more. The point I want to get to is, as soon as he told the part about little Cody going home and with the threat of a spanking. Not eating, not taking his medicine, but just eating. Instantly, I heard the Lord speak to me, and it wasn't audible. It was just a. When, when I hear the Lord speak, it's like it's that. It takes us that long to have our conversation. It takes me about thirty minutes to explain it to you. 
So in that little of time, I heard the Lord tell me, he says, Dave, I want, you, I want to heal you. I want you. I want you to get off of your medications. I want you to get off of your diets. And I want you to get off of your vitamins. And my response was, well, Lord, the medication is what keeps my skin from absolutely erupting. Going, just it, If you want to see the pictures, you'll understand. I, I, that's what keeps my skin from erupting and, and just going ballistic. And he says, Dave, do you want to do that stuff the rest of your life? I said, no. He says, I'll meet you where your faith is at. And then the next thing I said was, Lord, you don't mean the vitamins because that's what's restoring my health and building me back up. And he goes, Dave, do you want to do those the rest of your life? I said, no. He says, I'll meet you where your faith is at. And then finally I said, well, you don't mean the organic diets and all the stuff that I was doing to keep my body healthy. He says, Dave, do you want to do that the rest of your life? I said, no. He says, I'll meet you where your faith is at. And then he instantly gave me the scripture of Mark 11:24. When you pray, believe that you have received and you shall have it. So I'm excited. I'm like, okay, I charge. Here we go. So I go into the... I've got this fresh revelation. I know I'm going to be healed. I'm waking up tomorrow morning and I'm going to be all ready to go. And my wife, as she puts it, I walked up and I get out of bed and I look like this because the skin was so tight. And if you moved it, it would rip and it would tear because the skin had it had been lied to by the, the steroid cream of your body normally will generate what it needs to keep your skin healthy. And when you put something else on it or take something else for it, the body goes, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. So when I stopped the steroid creams and and the other stuff, all of a sudden the body goes, uh, it didn't it didn't move, and so the skin would tear, and it was it was awful, it was painful. And as she puts it, she finally understood how Job's wife felt when she said, "Just curse God and die," because she she <laughs> I got up and I didn't do any of the lotions like he said, and I couldn't move. And she says, "You sure God said no lotions?" And I turned to her and I go, you're supposed to be helping me. <laughs> and then she said right then she understood how Job's wife felt because here her loved one is going through this misery. Well, okay, cool. One day, we'll, next day we're healed. No, we go a month. And at a month, the skin was much worse. It started weeping and oozing and uh, it just, it was very horrible. That went into the second month, the third month the fourth month and by the fifth month and sixth month it had covered most of my body this this eczema junk it was on my face when I went to work it was all over my eyes or all over the sides of my face face <laughs> and all on my beard uh, down here in the neck it was all down the legs and all down the arms and on the torso and she couldn't really hug me because it was too painful and let me I want to preface this or I want to say this I'm sharing the the agony that I went through, not so that you go, oh man, look what that man went through. I want you to understand is that sometimes part of your healing involves a little bit of suffering. Thank you. It, it's it's not that Jesus didn't pay for it. I believe that the reason mine took so long was partly because I really wasn't seeking the faith, the King's face. When 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 you go to your parents or your grandkids come to you, if they seek your love. Your hands open up and you just give to them whatever they want. But if they just come to you because they want something, your hands tend to close. And God's the same way. If you're not seeking his face and spending time with him and loving on him, his hands tend to close because he knows what he has in his hands will hurt you. And that was partly why my my uh, battle took a little longer, I really feel. So we go into the seventh month, the eighth month. Um, 
by the time I get to a year or 11 months, it has gotten to on, on my feet to where my feet stink like death. And the, and the Lord, or the devil came to me and he says, that's gangrene, you're going to lose those feet. And I said, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I, I don't have gangrene. Those are my feet and you're not taking them. And it took 18 months before the entire healing fully manifested. Uh, through the middle of it, the Lord gave me a second scripture because it was when the devil comes every day and beats on your mind telling you that you're never going to make it. You're not going to look. You're not being healed. Sometimes you just got you say, God, I need I need another revelation. here. I need another word from you. And he gave me Jeremiah thirty seventeen, which was I will restore life and health to you and heal you, you of your wounds. And I'd look at my wounds and I go, OK, <laughs> I'm trusting you. And over 18 months. It finally completely healed. Uh, my son, he's back there on the floor. Uh, he's a testament to my healing because we couldn't have children until I was healed. One, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to pass this generational curse to the fourth generation. And the second thing was, we couldn't have kids, and it wasn't her problem. It was my problem. And so through it all, 18 months, and we were completely healed. And I, you see me stand today, and I wear short sleeves all the time just because I'm so happy that I can wear short sleeves now. <laughs> so, And you can be, wear boots and everything. Can, yeah, actually, these are my first <laughs> pair of boots since my healing. I actually get to run around in boots again, and they don't tear up my feet. And So those of you that are, are being challenged by the devil right now, he's always going to come to your mind and give you a lie. And a lot of times he tries to tell you that it's you thinking that, and it's not you. If, if what's going into your eyes and ears is the Word of God, it's what's down here that matters, not what comes in here. So when you, like, you, yes, the young man right here, when he, when the devil would tell him, uh, well, she's not going to make it, or his friends, I love the friends. The friends come over and help you all the time, trying to tell they're trying to help you make sure that whoever it is dies. No, no, I don't need friends like that. But when they would come and those, that input would come into his head, what came out of his heart, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. And that was what the Lord was trying to show me is out of the abundance of my heart, I would ultimately get my healing. So those of you who are fighting that, be encouraged. I might say right here too that there was a, even in our church where Dave came, we have people that are being taught, but he looks so bad after six or eight months there was even people walk up to him and say, Dave, you know, I have a doctor down here in Dallas. I know that I have great faith in. You need to go see him. And Dave said, I have a doctor I have great faith in too. It's Jesus, and I'm not going to show any doubt by going to that doctor down there. I'm going to trust the king. Now, I wanted you to hear his testimony. And one of these days, uh, we're going to do this with pictures because he took pictures every couple of weeks of what he looked like. And man, you ought to have seen him at about a year. I mean, at about a year, I mean, you had sores all over face, body, arms, legs, feet. He couldn't hardly stand. He couldn't hardly sleep. He couldn't lay down. He couldn't get in a car. Could not drive a car. This is how bad he looked. And at a year, he'd come to me and said, Thurman, we got to do something. I said, it's working, Dave. All you got to do is keep standing. I said, like I told you, you had a generational curse, and these demons are not going to give up easy. But I said, if you stand on God's Word with no doubt, the Word of God says, I'm the God that forgives all of your sins, and I'm the God that heals all of your diseases. So I said, if you'll do what God tells you to do, you'll walk holy before Him, 
I said, I will guarantee you he will heal you. And at first they said, now, Thurman, you can't guarantee me that. I said, oh, yes, I can, because Jesus guaranteed it. Well, today he knows the guarantees work. So here is a young man that for 40 years of his life had this awful disease, and now he does not have it, and now they're able to have that beautiful little baby back there. That shows you what will happen if you stand on the Word of God. But how long did it take him to get there? Eighteen months. Now then, when your skin is oozing and weeping and you're in pain or you're passing blood or you can't wear clothes, how many people has the faith to stand on God's Word and not doubt? Well, not very many. But I want you to hear this testimony because it's so powerful that if you get your sins repented of, it makes no difference what the devil throws at you. If you stand on the Word, God promises to heal you. And that's what he did for Dave. Praise the King, Dave. Glory to God. Quick. You got a a question for him? Okay. Your name is Dave, right? Yeah, Dave. Yeah. Dave? Okay. Hi, Dave. I'm Harold. Listen, i got a question for you. Throughout the course of this whole issue, did, did before you really got into the Word, to stand on the Word, did you ever used to believe that this was your cross to bear, that God had put that on you for some unknown reason? Do you know where I'm going with that question? Do you understand that? Did, that's, that's my question to you. Did I feel it was my cross to bear for Jesus? Uh, yeah. To be honest, I didn't really. I was saved at five. I was baptized at eight, and I lived for the devil till I was about thirty. So I never really thought about about being a cross. I know what you're saying. To answer that, uh, I always have to look. My, I went home during the middle of this, and I was showing my family, not so much to show them, but so that. I was tired of hiding it. And I sat with my dad out on the patio one day and I said, Dad, either the book is right or it's not. Either Jesus bore all my sicknesses and carried all my pains and griefs and sorrows, or he didn't. And I said, if I go somewhere else, I don't, it, I'm, I'm not following what the book says. And he said, well, I agree with you, son. It says that, but look at you. And I was like, Dad, but that's what the book says. Either I have to prove the book is right or I have to live in this other stuff and I'll use the word bondage for those of you that think now it's time for you to get off your medications if you didn't hear the Lord tell you see Thurman afterwards (laughs) Uh, I heard him tell me get off of it because that was the best and the the reason he talked about vitamins and diets to me was they were bondage to me and so to, to kind of go back to what you're saying is if you're under some kind of bondage it's already been paid for whether it be like like your young lady um, standing for her healing, the ultimate is that God is going to make her walk again. I mean, actually, He's already paid the price, so that we're just walking out that healing. And no, I if I look at back look at it now, no, He never put that on me for His glory. Uh, yeah, the, I'll, okay. Let me uh, let me go just slightly at a different angle. I I currently attend ORU as a Master's of Divinity student, which means I should be exalted to preach someday. <laughs> okay, I'm amazed that the doctrine we built out of John nine three. Now, 
If you look at Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it is there you cannot miss that if you sin, a curse will come on you. There's, I mean, I see a lot of head shaking. There's no, I mean, you can't miss that. But when John 9, 3, uh, the, the apostle, Jesus is brought to the, the blind man. And the apostles or the people around him say, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus, and I'm going to paraphrase what the church thinks it says. Well, no, no one sinned. It's just this, he has this for the glory of God. And that's not what it says. It says, he says, neither this man nor his parents well, if you've studied any church history, there was a split between the Jew, the Jews, the, the devout Jews, and the Christians. And they were all Jews in the beginning, and there was a split because they didn't like Jesus. And then pretty soon the Gentiles came in. Gentiles came in, and they forgot all Judaism. So us as Gentiles forgot that Jesus was a Jew first, and that he knew the Torah, and anything he said or did came from the first five books of well, the Old Testament. And so when he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, everyone there knew, oh, it's a third or fourth generational curse or a tenth generational curse if it, if it be found in, I believe, Deuteronomy 23. Right? Verse, okay. yeah. Verses 1, 2, and 3, and 4, I believe. So they knew that. But we, not studying the Old Testament, have lost sight that every sin causes a curse. And so that's why the church comes up with this doctrine out of John 9, 3 that says... That, uh, that no one sinned. But Jesus actually said, neither this man nor his parents. Now, the interesting part is that the apostles asked him who sinned. That means they knew that sin caused the sickness, but they wanted to know where it came from. Was it this man or his parents? They didn't go back to the third or fourth generation. So the first thing that, without adding to the scriptures, is they knew that somebody had sinned. Now, Jesus' response was not, no one sinned. Jesus' response was, Neither this man nor his parents have sinned. But if you go back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you see right away it was either a third, fourth, or a generational curse on the man. And so, and then he says, "Well, this was done for the glory of God." It doesn't say that. It says it was so that the glory of God could be manifested in him. And the whole point was, the the the, the man was to be healed. He wasn't to walk around giving God glory for the sickness. He had he was to be healed, and that's what Jesus was talking to. So. Back to the mainstream church. Yes, there's there's a misunderstanding because we don't understand our roots in the Old Testament, and that's why that doctrine comes out that we don't that we're not he, that it's it's our cross to bear for Jesus. And I like to challenge people. Jesus died for us, and He bore our cross. And since there's no cross and where His body is, there a cross for His body to bear? <laughs> Are we through? Sure. Okay, <laughs> praise the Lord. I'm taking up all this time. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, 2. Deuteronomy 23, 1. 1 and 2. The, the thing about it is what Dave is saying. Yeah, Deuteronomy 23, 2. See, the thing about it is. Yeah, Deuteronomy 23, 2. You got it open there? Deuteronomy 23, 2 says. Now this calls, I, I made this statement to a man at work one time and got called in before HR and severely reprimanded. Because a young man that worked for me had two sons by different women and had been married to none of them. And he was having all kinds of problems. And through all these problems he was having with his children and with his finances and everything else, 
when I called him in my office and was talking to him about all these problems he was having, and I asked him, I said, well, what about your wife? Why can't she take care of these children today? He said, well, uh, I'm, not, I'm not married to their mother. I said, well, where is she? Well, you know, I said, uh, uh, have you ever been married to their mother? He said, no. So I said, you got two sons out of wedlock that you've never, you've never been married. He said, no. I said, well, you got two bastards. Well, he didn't like that. And he went directly to HR, and HR come to me and told me I offended the young man. I said, all i got to say, if I offended him, Jesus is the one offended him. I said, I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. I said, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 23, verse 2, says, A bastard or an illegitimate child shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even to his tenth generation. You think God likes sex out of wedlock? You think he does? I don't think so. If you bring a child into the world out of wedlock, you think God likes it? Evidently, he doesn't. Because he said, I will curse you and that family for ten generations if you bring a child into the world out of wedlock. A bastard or an illegitimate child is the same thing. Some of you in this room may be illegitimate children. If you are, there is hope for you because of the cross. Of what Jesus had done. Now, before the cross, you had no hope. I mean, you were sealed. Your doom was sealed. Now then, let me put it to you like this. If I could go back and check each one of us in our family lines for ten generations, I'm going to tell you there ain't no hope for none of us because I'm going to tell you there's probably not a person in this room doesn't have somebody that was born out of wedlock ten generations back. Y- you all agree with that? I mean, in today, when 50%... Well, I don't know what percent, but a big percentage of the world is living together without being married. A big portion. And a big portion of it's in the church. It's all because we're not preaching sin. And we think we're getting by with this, but we're not getting by with this. As Christians, the spirit world is there to make you sick and afflict you and torment you. When you break God's spiritual laws, these laws of the Torah... The first five books of the Bible, which Jesus knew and understood, he knew them. I mean, and that's our problem. We don't know them. And so since we don't know what brings sickness and disease, uh, we, we just go out and sin and do what we want to do. And then we wonder why we come down sick. Well, when I went back years ago and began to read these first five books of the Bible, when I read these, as I read these and meditated on these, my thoughts were, God, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. You know, as a child of yours, I'm in big trouble because there's so many places in there I see that where my parents sent, it's going to fall to me. Where my grandparents sent, it's going to come to me. My great-great-grandparents sent, it's going to come to me. My great-great-great-grandparents sent, it's going to come to me. And Lord, I don't even know who these people are. You know, I don't even know who they are. Much less know what kind of sin they've committed and then if we've got a generational curse here because of, of somebody being born out of wedlock, that means ten generations into the future would, could very easily, you know, engulf me. Then, Lord, I, I have no hope. But then I come to the New Testament and found out what was available to me on the other side of the cross. And then I found out there was hope. Now then, I could be redeemed from all of this. I can be set free. But then I, as a Christian, being raised in a Baptist church all of my life, I had been taught 
that I was just an unworthy sinner saved by grace, and we just sin all day, every day, and it's impossible for anybody to walk without sin. That was the mentality that I'd been raised in until I got into the New Testament. When I got into the New Testament and began to read it, I found out in the New Testament, when I got saved, Jesus covered every sin I'd ever committed. He took care of every curse that had been put upon me, but I had to receive each individual section of this by faith. It wasn't automatic. When I got saved, I found out that I had to realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. His blood was poured out for my sins, and that if I received that by faith, totally by faith, then the Spirit of God came into me, and I became what we call a born-again Christian or a child of God. Now then, if I just walked down the aisle with my buddy and said, you know, he got saved. Uh, I said, Harold got saved. He's my buddy, so I want to get saved too. Well, Harold really accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I didn't have enough knowledge in me. I said, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe in Jesus. You want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to accept Jesus. Why do you want to accept Jesus? Well, my buddy Harold here, he believes in Jesus, and he got saved. He's come down, so I I want to be like him. I want to do the same thing he did. But he had the knowledge in him I didn't. I just voiced it. It was not in my heart. We went out and Harold changed. He stopped drinking, smoking, running around the wild women, all that stuff. But me, it didn't have any effect on me. I said, Harold, let's go down here. Let's go down to the candy store. You know, we've learned how to break in it. We steal candy. He said, no, 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 no. I don't do that no more. What's wrong with you? We said, I just don't, I don't feel led to do that no more. Well, I mean, what's the big difference? Oh, you know, and the girls, you know, you know how we've been running around with the girls and have so much fun with all the girls. You know, let's go down to the prostitute house in Dallas, you know, and let's go down and have a good time. And they said, I don't do that no more, Thurman. What's wrong with you? I still love to do those things. One of us got something. The other one didn't. When you really accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a new creature inside. And all the stealing. The lying, the thieving, the cheating, the committing adultery, all those things are supposed to go away. If it does not, you need to really check out, were you really saved? Now, if you really are saved, you need to get into Word and learn who you are. Because if you're not born again, then you're under every one of these curses under the law. You're under those things. Now then, if you say you're saved and you go out in sin, and this is something it took me almost a lifetime to figure out. When you walk in faith, you walk in grace. When you walk in faith, you're in grace. That's on a new plane. Down here's the law. We walk on the road down here, and this is the law. When we find out that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior... We step into a new place of faith that's called grace. When we're up there and you're walking up there, you walk in a new place. And up there, there is no sickness and no disease. And you're on that straight and narrow path that very few find. And you're up here above the snakes of the world. Do you know crawling around on this ground... There is a group of things that we call serpents or demons. These little critters love to get Christians. But as long as you and I walk in grace, in faith, we're on a new plane. And they can't get through to us. 
Now then, as long as you walk in faith and walk in obedience to God's Word, you walk in a place where no demon can get to you. And if so, there is no sickness and disease up here. There's no pain and suffering up here. Just, I mean, it's amazing that when you get to this place. Now then, what if all of a sudden you decide to think in your mind, a thought comes to your mind, oh, it sure would be good to go back down to the candy store to steal some candy. I used to do that when I was a kid, let's say. And you start meditating on that thought, and the minute you yield to that thought, nobody would ever know if I go back down there and steal a little bit. So when you yield to that thought, you have just fell from grace. You've transgressed the law of God. You've yielded to the thoughts of the devil, which is putting these in your mind, and you've just fell from grace, and you've transgressed the law of God, because did he say, don't steal? Yeah. You're thinking this, it's going to be okay. See, this is where we miss it. We don't realize that when we meditate on sin, we sin. Now, Jesus made it real clear. He said that in before you have heard it said that if you commit adultery with another woman, you're guilty. Is that what he said under the law? We have to commit the act, right? But Jesus said under this new era of grace, if you lust in your heart for a woman, you're guilty of sin. Did you commit the act? No. No, you didn't go to bed with that man or woman. But you thought about it. And when you begin to think about it, you begin to meditate on it. And you begin to think, wow, that would really be, I would so love to go out with that man or with that woman, and I would so love to go to bed. I wonder what it would be like to go to bed with that man or woman. You could sit, and a man today can sit and watch television with some of these girls that are doing the things they do. And I've flipped through a few channels once in a while, and I've seen some things that you, you wouldn't want to watch. I wouldn't want to meditate on those things at all. Because if you're a normal human being, and you were to meditate on that kind of trash for a little while, especially if you're a normal man, you know, and you're not a Christian man, even if you are a Christian, you're not well formed in the Word, you're going to begin to listen to the thoughts of the devil. And when those thoughts go from here to here, you just broke God's law. And when you broke that law... You fell from grace. You've transgressed the law of God. You're guilty of adultery. And every demon of hell has legal right to come in and torment you in your home and make you sick and afflict you. Somebody says, man, this is not going to be easy to walk up here. You're right. It's not going to be easy to walk up there. But can you do it? Yes, we can. Now then, when we fall from grace, that's when the devil has legal right. Just like this young lady over here. Just like Dave back there. Just like I've heard this over and over. Myself, I've done this a few times myself in my, in my life. I know that I've done things that I'm not supposed to do as a Christian. Now, I've had a fairly clean life. I will have to say I've lived a fairly clean life compared to some people that I know. But it doesn't make any difference. If you fall from grace one time, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. When you, when you think about adultery, and of course... I mean, just like getting angry. How many of you have been angry with somebody? <laughs> Everybody has. You know, and the thing about it is the Lord says if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of what? Murder. You say, I would never kill him. But see, 
the devil knows and God knows. And he says, well, you're angry with your brother. So one day somebody does something. Maybe it's your wife or your husband or your, one of your children or maybe your mother or your father. And they do something you don't like and you get so mad at them. Oh, I'm going to get even with them. When you're that mad and that angry, you just fell from grace. You've just transgressed the law of God and you just committed a murder. Isn't that awful? Is it hard to walk in faith? Yes, it is. It's, it is hard to walk up there. I'm going to tell you, it's difficult. But you can do it. When those thoughts come to your mind, that's why the Lord clearly told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, He says to capture every thought. Does that mean what it says? Yes. Let's go look at that and let's see how we can overcome that in 2 Corinthians 10. We go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 3, because until you learn to master this, what we're going to talk about right here, you will not be able to walk in divine health. This really, really takes some work. I don't care who you are. I mean, I am tested daily with this, and you will be too. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh. Now, if you're alive, you're walking in the flesh. Because just like me, you see what you see standing up here is flesh and blood. And you're here today, and you're here in your flesh and blood suit. And if you don't have a flesh and blood suit, then you're a spirit, and you're probably gone to heaven. But as long as you've got this thing, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now then, if you get mad at your wife, mad at your husband, mad at one of your children, if somebody really does something that really, really makes you mad, what do some people do? What's the first thing they retaliate with if they don't have a club? Either they double up their fist and hit somebody, or they slap somebody with their hand. You ever seen anybody do those kind of things? Sure. See, now we just stepped out of faith when we done that. And that's the flesh retaliating. That's the flesh retaliating. I mean, you see men all the time, especially when they get a little bit drunk somewhere. You know, somebody walks up and says something, guy just turns around and knocks him out. Or tries. I mean, that's the flesh. That's the flesh. The flesh retaliates, but the Lord says... For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what are these strongholds? Strongholds of anger, fear, rage, whatever it is. You know, it's just like I think about this precious little lady over here that had the stroke and went through all the things she's gone through. I think of another man that goes to my church that he had some sin in his life, and I knew he had sin in his life. Him and his wife invited me out to their house. I went out there and sat down and talked with him, and I told him I knew what his sin was. And I told him he had to change. And he would not. He said, nope, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going there. I said, if you don't do this, something's going to happen to you, and you ain't going to like the consequence. I said, there is a consequence for sin, and it's going to catch up with you sooner or later. He wouldn't change. About three times I went to their home, and he would never change. I said, please reconsider. You do not understand that you have failed from grace 
and you're under the law. And I'm going to guarantee you sooner or later, them demons of hell, the hounds of hell are going to get you. And something's going to happen to you physically and you're not going to like it. Well, he had a stroke. Paralyzed one whole side of his body. And they called me. And he, I told him, I said, well, he, he couldn't hardly talk or nothing. And I said, it appears you've had a stroke. But I said, to confirm that, go ahead and go to a doctor and let the doctor confirm. And he went there and the doctors confirmed he had a stroke. And they wanted to put him in the hospital. They wanted to do all kinds of things, all kinds of medication. He said, what do I need to do? I said, if you don't repent of that sin, there ain't nothing them doctors can do to ever heal you. You will never recover until you repent of that sin. And I'd been telling him all the time what it was. So he repented of the sin. I said, now then that you've repented... You know, here's the order God puts it in. In Psalms 103, it says, Forget not all the Lord's benefits. Psalms 103. He forgives all of your iniquities. That's number one. And then it says, He heals all of your diseases. So see, they're in order. It's amazing how we just read that and don't realize that God put everything in His Word in a specific order for a specific reason. He doesn't do anything haphazardly. So I told the man, I said, if you will repent of your sin, and then, and he did. Now, it's a shame that we have to get down to a stroke before we will repent of our sins. But I'd been telling him, telling him, but he wouldn't believe me. But now he does. Now he's at home, half of his body is paralyzed, half of his face don't work, half of his arms don't work, his leg. He's in pretty bad shape. But I said, now then... After you repented, now then you're going to have to believe God. I said, until, if you let them doctors give you all that medication and everything, I said, you will never probably ever fully recover. But I said, if you want to fully recover, now then what you've got to do is go home and trust God. Get His Word out. Begin to read it and study it and meditate on it and speak the Word over you and your flesh day and night and worship and praise the King and thank Him for your recovery. He did. It took him six months and in six months he had fully recovered. Today the man still comes to my church in Dallas and you cannot tell he's ever, ever had any sign of a stroke. But let me tell you, when I say you're going to sin anymore, you know what he says? Oh no, absolutely not. Are you going to walk in obedience to God's Word? <laughs> Absolutely. Now then, God made a set of rules that we, the church, have to learn to live in. But it's like we read this book and it don't mean what it says. But he says, we bring down all these strongholds, whatever they are. Then he says in verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, the knowledge of God is the Word of God. If the Lord tells us what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to walk in love. We're supposed to do all these wonderful things. In fact, this is the only commandment you and I have as Christians. To love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. That's your only commandment, to walk in love. And the Lord says, in this is all of the law and the prophets fulfilled. So everything. So if you walk in deeds of loving kindness, will you ever do anything wrong to your brother? No. 
Well, you walk in deeds of loving kindness. You won't ever do nothing bad to nobody, will you? No. You won't. You won't ever get mad that, I mean, you know, so you're driving down the road in an 18-wheeler, and all of a sudden, you know, you're on the hill. And I'm saying this because uh, Harold, he's a truck driver. He drives all over the country. And sometimes those big trucks get on hills when they got big loads. And some guy on a two-lane road, he can't get around you, and he wants you to get off the road. He just soon you pull off in the bar ditch and let him by. But you can't. And by the time he gets ready to get around, he goes around you and pulls in front of you, almost runs over, although you're five times bigger than he is, he almost hits you, and he's got a few choice words and a few choice signs and everything. If you're not careful, you can get in the flesh. Y'all know what I mean? But see, if you're a Christian, you pray for don't you, Harold? You've learned to do that now, right? Yes. In fact, I in Dallas that I led her husband to Christ and a couple of years later got him healed of a couple of uh, real serious problems. In fact, uh, this guy, his woman was a good, his wife, his woman was a good Christian woman. And when he, when I met him, I asked him, you know, if he was a Christian. Well, I, I guess so. Well, if a man tells you that, he's not. Yeah, he's not. And then I said, you go to church? Well, no, Thurman, my wife goes to church. You know, you know, church is for women and kids, you know. He said, us men, us men, we got bigger and better things to do. We got to be making a living to support the women and children so they can go to church. I said, no, no, no. Church is for men. Real men go to church. Real men obey God. And I see real men get to see God do miracles. And that caught his attention. He said, miracles? What do you mean? I said, well, I see God do wonderful things all the time. Oh, he just thought I was lying. So one day, I, he was going to do a paint job for me on a, in a building down in the hallway. <clears throat> and I called him that evening, and I said, just want to make sure we're setting everything up so you can come do that paint work in the morning on, on a certain room in the hallway and everything. He said, oh, Thurman, he said, I can't be there. He said, today I fell off of a scaffold. And I have twisted my leg. And he said, my knee is twice its size. He said, time I got home, my wife had to cut my britches leg off of me. He said, I'm sitting here, my knee in this excruciating pain. He said, I can't, even, I can't even go to the doctor. It hurts so bad. I said, could I pray for you? He said, boy, I was hoping you would ask. So, a demonstration of the Spirit's power walking into God kind of love. I prayed the prayer of faith for him on the telephone rebuke the pain and everything and ask the Lord to do a miracle healing on him and thank the Lord for doing it. I said, now then, Larry, I said, I will see you here in the morning at 8 o'clock. Come ready to paint the room. Now, do you hear any faith in that? Absolutely. I hung the phone up and the next morning at a few minutes before 8, he walks in my office and walks up to the door and he knocks and I got a, had a glass window and I saw him and said, come on in. He come in and he's coming shaking his leg and he said, I had never seen anything like this in my life. I said, what do you mean? He said, you prayed for me last night. And as soon as you hung the phone up, I felt a tingling in my knee. And I looked down, and within just a few minutes, I watched my knee, which was swelled twice its size, go down to normal size in just a matter of a few minutes. And he said, the pain all left. And he said, I can't tell I've done anything. To he said, I've never seen anything like this. I said, oh real men that go to church and study the Word. This is what God will do for real men. Well, I'm telling you, got that man's attention. And then a few weeks later when he couldn't, he was going to church every Sunday with his wife for a while. And then, of course, you know how easy the devil gets you out. 
So he quit for two or three Sundays. And then he was going to do another job for me, and he didn't show up. And I called him, and I said, what's the deal? You know, are you going to be here in the morning? Oh, Thurman, he said, I can't tell you. I said, you've been going to church. Well, he said, I did for a few Sundays, but the last couple I hadn't been. I said, what's wrong with you now? He said, this week I've had my hemorrhoids lance three times, and the doctor said, I can't do it no more, or I'll have to have surgery. I said, good grief, repent, tell God you're sorry for not going to church. Does God tell us to go to church? I mean, Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis, as a manner of some are. We are supposed to be in church. If you don't go to church, you're sinning. So, he said, I've not gone the last couple of Sundays. I said, Joe, you open the door to the devil. I said, will you repent? He said, yes. So he repented. I prayed the prayer of faith for him, rebuked the devil. I said, now I'll see you in the morning. And God healed him of his hemorrhoids, and the next morning he was there. And, of course, after two miracles, it totally changed the man's life. I mean, I saw his wife two or three years later, and she said, Thurman, you'll never know the impact you've had on my husband. I said, what do you mean? She said, we used to be driving down the road, and somebody would cut us off. So we might be going along there, and he's totally okay. And all of a sudden, somebody cuts in between us and almost hits the front bumper. And he said it would light his fire, make him so mad. She said, I have prayed, oh, God help us, as we drive down the road 80 miles an hour trying to run that guy off the road. She said, I just knew we was going to get killed. But she said, you know what he does now? I said, what? She said, somebody runs him off the road like it, even if they make him go off in the ditch, little ones. He said, Lord, watch over that man, protect him and help him. She said, you have had a tremendous impact on my husband. Well, now, see, he's learning to do what 2 Corinthians 10 says. Instead of returning evil for evil and fighting, he's learning to capture the thoughts that the devil's putting in his mind. He's casting down those thoughts and bringing those into the knowledge of God, which God said, what are you supposed to do for your enemy? Pray for your enemy. Is that what the Lord said? Did he say, do not return evil for evil? Well, then why do we return evil for evil? If the Lord says, do not return evil for evil, if the Lord says, pray for your enemies, then why, when the president does something wrong, us as Christians say, that stupid president we got, can't he do nothing right? No, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to capture that thought and say, Lord, help him. He needs knowledge, wisdom, understanding from you. You help our president to make the right decisions to rule us. Now, that's walking in love, right? Now, if we do everything God's way, we walk in faith. We walk in grace, and up there there is no sickness and no disease. Now, is it hard to stay up there? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, watching me walk the love walk must be like watching a man walk a, a, a little bitty tiny uh, two before turned up on edge. You know, you're walking along here like this, and somebody says something. You one falls off, and you fall down, straddle the board. You grab you like a monkey. You're hanging under the bottom, and you work your way back up. And somebody says, "Man, he nearly fell off." You know, as you get back. And, you're up on the, and then for a little while you say, okay, Lord, I got it. I'm watching right down there. I'm walking on them steps. I got it. Well, a day or two or three later, you know, you're getting used to this stuff. Somebody says something and you get a little distracted and your foot goes up and you fall. And you, again, you're out hunt, hanging on that thing upside down. Now then, if you happen to fall far enough to go all the way down to the snake pit, guess who's going to bite you while you're down there? The snakes. The demons. I'm telling you, walking a love walk is not easy. Do you all know where I'm coming from? Any of you all have as much trouble walking that love walk as I do? 
You ever see yourself like that little monkey hanging on that tube before, looking down to them snakes down there saying, Oh, Lord, help me. I, I repent, Lord, I repent. <laughs> Send an angel to help put me back up on top of that thing, Lord. I'm hanging. i got my claws stuck in this thing. I'm trying to hold on, Lord. You see yourself like that, Harold, sometimes? <laughs> so, you have as much trouble walking love walk as I do, do you? It is, it is a See, this is where we've got to get if you want to walk in divine health. And I think every Christian wants to walk in divine health. See, that's why we're here today. Because the Lord says here, after we've cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And see, the obedience of Christ is Love your neighbors yourself. So whenever the little girl at the office does something wrong or whatever, you just love her, right? You don't get mad at her. You don't go to, over to your next friend and say, Oh, Susie over there, she's crazy. I mean, that stupid woman. You ain't going to believe what she said to me. I know none of you all ever talk like this. You know, and I know none of you ever do any of these things with grumbling and complaining. You know, because, you know, grumbling and complaining, that's not a sin, is it? Is grumbling in It is? Oh, my goodness gracious. That's another one of those thoughts. Let's flip over to the right just a little bit. I'm going to tell you a story there. That Let's go to Philippians. Uh, I want to show you uh, this Philippians chapter 2. Now, for Christians, we're supposed to live in a different place. For Christians, how much murmuring and complaining or grumbling or complaining are we supposed to do? None. Zero. Now, how many of us sinned in the last 30 minutes? <laughs> Probably all of us. At least in the last 30 days. You might not have grumbled and complained today, but I'm telling you in the last 30 days, if you're not careful, it is so easy to get off on grumbling and complaining. But the Lord says, anyway, this little gal um, said, you know, this will bring sickness and disease to your body. And some people say, well, you know, I have prayed and prayed and prayed and people have done all kinds of things. They've anointed me with oil and everything and nothing has ever worked. Well, we've not hit the sin. Very few people realize that I grumble and complain about everything. But, you know, I'm not out committing adultery. I'm not murdering somebody. You know, I'm not doing none of those things. So it couldn't be my grumbling and complaining. Oh, my gosh, it's Monday morning again. And it's, and it's raining outside. Good grief. And it's cold outside. Oh, my lands. Or you wake up and it's a beautiful, clear day. Oh, my gosh, there's not a cloud in the sky. It's too hot. If it ain't one thing, it's another. So you're grumbling and complaining about everything instead of praising God for everything. We wake up and say, Lord, thank you for that beautiful rain. Woo, Lord, thank you for them beautiful clouds up there today. Or, Lord, thank you for that beautiful clear sky. Or, Lord, thank you for the beautiful sun. Whatever it is, praise Him and worship Him. With this little girl, I said, you know, we go to work and something don't go right, and so we start grumbling. And then it gets worse. And then you grumble about that, and it gets worse. And you don't understand. You're sinning the whole time. And this girl's sitting there listening to this, and she said, oh, my lands. Oh, my lands. She said, Lord, forgive me. Anyway, I didn't know this was all going on until the end of the teaching. End of the teaching, she jumps up and comes up there and says, Mr. Scrivener, can I give this testimony? I either got to tell this or I'm going to bust. I said, well, sure. What's the problem? She said, two weeks ago, 
a few things started going wrong at work, and I started grumbling and complaining. She said, a couple days later, I began to get a crick in my neck. And then I began to grumble and complain about that. And I began to pray about it, but nothing worked. And she said, it got worse. And said, by Monday the next week, it was really bad. And so this week, I've really grumbled about this and everything at work. And she said, today when I walk in here, I can't even straighten my neck up. A while ago, I'm sitting back there listening to you talk about grumbling and complaining as a sin. And I said, oh, Lord, have I sinned big time in the last two weeks. Lord, please forgive me for my grumbling and complaining. And I promise to stop doing it. And she said, I was instantly healed. Bam. My crick was gone and I was instantly healed. Isn't that amazing? And see, so these little things come up on us and we don't realize that when he says capture every thought and bring it to the knowledge of Christ, what if you don't know grumbling and complaining is a sin? What if you don't know you're to do all things without grumbling and complaining? So you go through life grumbling and complaining. And then things begin to happen. And you think, why did this See, like Dave said a while ago when he heard me make the statement that all sickness and disease is because of sin. And I said, if you will repent of your sins, I guarantee we can take a verse and stand on it, and I guarantee you'll get healed. And the first time he heard me make that statement, he said, he can't guarantee that. Well, let me tell you today, he stands guarantee that Jesus is the healer. See, guarantee. But see, he stood for 18 months. The main reason I wanted Dave to give his testimony, because we are a microwave technology today. We pray, and if when we pray for somebody, God has made all kinds of guarantees in His Word. But we got to go by what the Word says and not what we see. You know. Now, I'm going to tell you that whenever I prayed for Kelly four years ago, and in two and a half weeks, that little girl that had her head busted open and both pelvis crushed, and two and a half weeks later, when they said it'd be two and a half to three months minimum before she could even stand with a walker, and in two and a half weeks, she's back in school running and playing like nothing ever happened. That's the way I like to see God do things, don't you, young lady? Ooh, I love to see him. But with my own granddaughter, he didn't do that. It took months of intensive quoting the Word. I mean, Caitlin, of course, was a lot worse. You know, when your brain stem severed, your eyes are jerked out of your brain, your skull's crushed in five places, all your face is torp, all these bones are crushed around your eyes. And all fragmented and lungs are torn. You're bleeding out of your eyes, ears, nose, and mouth. Your right knee is crushed and your left leg broken in two places. And every doctor in the world telling you, it's over. She can't live. That takes a little more faith, doesn't it? How do you respond? How does a normal Christian respond when you walk into a hospital and say it was your own wife and she had been in a car wreck? And they say, I'm sorry, sir, your wife's been in a car wreck and you look down and you don't recognize nothing you see? I mean, just a glob of flesh face tore all to pieces, and they said, I'm sorry, but her brain stem severed, you know, and it's, well, she can't live, and she's bleeding everywhere. What does the average person say? Oh, God, where are you? What happened? Is that what we do? And then you walk outside crying, oh, my wife's not going to live. They just told me, would you all please pray for me? My wife's not going to live. You're right, she's not going to live. You're not quoting the Word. You don't believe nothing written in this book. You didn't capture every thought. You didn't make every thought obedient to the commands of Christ. But when you read the Word and you believe what it says, then you can take these mighty promises that God has given you and then you can turn to a scripture like this one right here in John 
turn back a few pages in your Bible from Philippians to John and turn to John 15. And I want you to see what the Lord promised us here in John 15. John chapter 15, verse 7. Now, this promise has a requirement. Technically, all of the Word of God has a requirement. And Dave hit on this very well a while ago as to why he believes it took 18 months for him to get well instead of maybe three or four months. Because he was seeking the healing power of Jesus' hand. That's what he was seeking. He wanted he wanted the gift that God had in His hand for him. But he should have been seeking the healer. If he was seeking the healer, studying the Word, and seeking to know God and His love and His grace, then the Lord would have opened that hand a lot quicker. And His healing could have been much, much faster. I believe. He believes that, and I believe that. But He was seeking with all the knowledge He had. And so now then, today... He seeks the healer, not just the hand of the healer. He wants to know the healer. So I see Dave all the time out there walking up and down the road reading his Bible. You know, reading his Bible. He wants to know the king. Well, then, since he wants to know the king, now then he's hiding the word of God in his heart. Plus, he's going to ORU, and as he's going up there, to get his uh, MBA as he's studying the Word of God intently, both at school and at home and writing all these papers and in reading and studying and everything. Now then, when the enemy comes upon his little son and even has a little cough or a little bubble blows out of his nose or anything, immediately Dave looks over and in love he says, Oh, no, devil. There'll be no cough in this house. There ain't going to be no fussing and screaming in this house. There ain't going to be no runny nose in this house in the name of... No, no, devil, no. And the devil goes away. And little John, he has not had a cough or a colic or uh, he sleeps good, everything. Isn't it amazing what you can do? But look what the promise is right here. If you hide the word in your heart in John fifteen seven, Jesus says, if you abide in me, as a requirement, isn't it? You know what it means to abide in Jesus? Oh, that means going to church at least once a month on Sunday. You think that abiding in Him? No. That's just, are, are you married, young lady? I mean, just ask you a question. No, well, I'm okay. I won't go there then. If, if you are married, I'll ask this one over here. She's married. I know she's married. If your hubby only spent one day a week with you, would that be abiding in you? No. So how, how often? Around? Every day. Every day. Can you imagine that? Every day. She wants him around every day. Well, I'll tell you, her hubby kind of likes her around every day, too. You know, we enjoy working together out there in the ministry center and everything else. But the Lord says, if you abide in me. That means reading his word, studying his word, talking to him. When you wake up, what's the first thing you should think about? Not your wife. You can think about your wife after you've talked to God or your husband. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you should, that should be on your heart, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. You've allowed me to wake up again. This is abiding in Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, how is his words going to abide in you? You're going to have to study the book. And you can't just do it going to church on Sunday, even if you're there every Sunday 
every service on Sunday. That's still not abiding in Christ. You cannot learn it like that. You've got to read it and study it and listen to it, driving down the road, have a CD or a tape or whatever, listening to the Word of God, reading it, studying it, talking about it, meditating in the Word. He says, now, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, is the results for doing what he says great? Absolutely. I love it when you know these mighty promises because that promise right there brought Caitlin back from the dead. My little three-year-old granddaughter at the time, which she's now seven, and January she's going to be eight. And, of course, with the brainstem severed, I remember what Dr. Mark said the second Monday morning we were there. When he said, I don't understand how this little girl has lived this week. But he said, i just done a second MRI on her this morning. And there's nothing attached to her brain. I said, nothing? He said, nothing. I said, how about her eyes? He said, they're jerked loose too. So he said, the eyes have been jerked out of the brain. He said, I said, you know, the terms he used, first used, I didn't understand. I said, sir, would you tell me that in layman's terms? He said, well, it's like having two video cameras and no recorder attached. He said, like the wires are jerked loose from it. So there's no way that anything can be recorded. So he said, the eyes appear, although all the bones are broken all around them, he said, the eyes appear to still be intact, but the cords going from the eye to the brain have been jerked out of the brain. And he said, the impact was so severe when the brain came forward and then bounced back, it severed the brain stem. So said, there's nothing to tell her to move, to cough, nothing. So said, we got a machine on her pumping her lungs. That's the only way she's staying alive. He said, we pull the breathing machine this week, and when we do, she will die. And said, you do not want to resuscitate her with a machine. What are you going to do when the doctor tells you that? Well, if the word's in you, you know what you're going to do. You're going to stand on the word. Can Jesus do anything beyond our wildest dreams? Did he say that in the Word? Sure he did. I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you could even think or imagine according to the power that worketh in you. Where is that power, young lady? It's in you, isn't it? Isn't that good news? So now that if you've got the Word hidden in you, you can turn to a doctor just made that statement and say, I'm sorry, sir, but I serve Jesus. He's my king. He's my Lord, and He made me promises in His Word. And so with Jesus, all things are possible because He said that in Luke one thirty-seven. So I said, Jesus can do exceedingly abundantly above all I can think or imagine. All i got to do is stand on His Word. So I'm going to guarantee you that I don't even want her back normal. I think it's time Christians stop praying for normal. We need to start praying for supernatural because that's the God we serve. I said, Lord, I don't want her back just normal. I want her back and I don't want a scar on her face. I don't want her face to all grow back together and all them old, where her face is all tore up and all them bones broken. I don't want her face all out of place and out of shape and all them scars. I want that little face back beautiful and I don't want a single scar. What did he say I could ask for, young lady? You think he meant that? Yes, he did. Isn't it good news that he's a king and you and me can ask him for anything? I have a need right now, don't I? Yes, I do. And so I can ask you, you have a need, and you won't ask anything. And if you ask and you believe, he'll do it. 
he'll do it because he promised it. And so, then, then your confession has to line up. So you walk outside the room after you've asked, and they say, oh my goodness, Thurman, you heard what that doctor said. I said, yeah, I heard. So we went out to eat something about Wednesday. I thought they were going to pull the tubes on Thursday. So Wednesday evening, we were out having a bite to eat, and we stopped at a gas station to get some gas. I was there. My sister was there, two or three other people in the car with me. And they called me from the hospital and said, Caitlin's taking a turn for the worse. We don't think she's going to make it. I said, oh, yeah. She's going to make it. Guarantee. I've turned that little lady over into the hands of the Lord, and there ain't no devil of hell can kill her. I said, I'm going to guarantee that little girl is going to be a supernatural little girl. And they, well, sir, we're up here. We're doing the test. I said, I know, but I'm serving the king. And he's the one that's going to heal her, not you. And so I stood on the word. And I never doubted, not one single time. And somebody asked me, what was that phone call? I said, oh, they just called to tell me how wonderful Caitlin's doing. <laughs> She's doing wonderful, you know. Yeah. What do you want to do? Tell them, oh, the doctor just called and said she ain't going to make it through the night. What's everybody going to say? Oh, she's going to die. Oh, we just got... Oh, she's great. Fantastic. Well, the other day when we got the uh, uh, note from the teacher, uh, second grade, uh, of course, her face healed up without a single scar. She don't have a mark on her face, nothing. And the other day when the teacher sent the note home, said they had races in the second grade today, and said, uh, Caitlin is the fastest girl in the second grade. Now then, I wanted a supernatural one, right, J.C.? I didn't want one just normal... You know, so she comes over to the miniature center and gets Grandma here. And this is good exercise for her and Grandma both. She wants Grandma to go to the mailbox to, up there. And it's only a half a mile from the miniature center to the mailbox. So her and Grandma and the dog run to the, to the mailbox and back. And by the time they get back, Grandma's huffing and puffing. But the little girl, she's okay. <laughs> so she's supernatural, isn't she, honey? I'm telling you, it's amazing what God can do if you're willing to stand on His Word. Now, through all of this, you don't go by what you see. You never go by what you see. Just what you're saying. The main thing is, number one, make sure that you have no unconfessed sin in your life. Make sure you're not grumbling and complaining about anything. If there was any words that locked into my spirit, it was when Betty Baxter's mother stood for little Betty for 10 years. Now, I don't know if we got any of those. We do have. Okay, if you haven't seen the DVD of Betty Baxter's testimony, you talk about encouragement. If we thought Dave's for 18 months was something, you ought to see hers. 10 years. 10 years. Her mother, this little girl was born, like Dave was born with all this problem he had, this little girl was born with big knots on her head, her body, her back. Her little arms were like this. Her little legs were all twisted. You could not put clothes on her or nothing. Her intestines and arteries, everything, I mean, intestines were enlarged and in the wrong place, had an enlarged heart on the wrong side. Everything was wrong with that little girl. And after the finest doctors in the world spent a month up in Minneapolis, they said when she was a little girl, seven, eight, or nine years old, said it's impossible for Betty to live past ten. Everybody bought that lie except her mother. Her mother said, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he never changes, if he healed 2,000 years ago, he'll heal today. So she began to worship and praise with no grumbling and no complaining. And little Betty had no grumbling and complaining. 
And she continued to stand on the Word, and Betty kept getting worse and worse and worse. Now, see, this takes really takes a mother. At 10, the doctor came in and says, Miss Baxter, you can stop praying. Betty has just deceased. And the mother said, no. No, no. She ain't dead. No, no. Jesus made me promises. And he said, if I don't doubt, and I'm not doubting, no way. She said, but ma'am, I'm sorry. She's dead. I don't know. I ain't buying that. God can't lie to me. He made me a promise. And I'm asking him to make Betty supernatural and strong. And go, and I've not grumbled and complained. And I'm thanking him, praising him. And he said it. So since he's not a man, he can't lie. It can't do nothing but do what it said. So Betty walks across the valley of the shadow of death. And there's Jesus standing there and said, I'm sorry, Betty, but you can't come in because of your mother's prayers. You go back and you suffer a little while longer and I'll come in the fall and heal you. Now, why is he going to wait till the fall? She's already suffered for 10 years. Isn't that long enough? I don't know. I don't understand all these things about God by a long shot. But Betty was back in comatose for several more months. But she was not dead. And finally, the Lord came to her and told her, said, I'm coming next Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. to heal you. But you can't tell nobody till I tell you. So a little while later, her mother comes in and Betty is conscious now. And she says, do you have any idea when Jesus is going to come heal you? <laughs> she said, I thought to myself, a mother has never asked me this question because I've never known the answer. But now that I know the answer, and she asked me, she says, I looked up and smiled at mother. And mother looked down and says, next Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. And she said, I said, mother, how did you know that? I said, the same Jesus that told you told me. And said, and so when next Sunday she goes to church, she goes down and buys Betty a new dress, buys her a new pair of little shoes. She's 10 years old and goes to church and tells everybody, come to our house Sunday afternoon. Jesus is coming to our house to heal Betty. That's exactly what we do. Nobody believes the power of God no more, is there? Isn't that a shame? Everybody should have been at that house Sunday to see Jesus show up. The preacher didn't come. He missed the greatest blessing of his life. He didn't show up. Only a few people that are real close friends because they felt, you know, concerned for her. You know, poor Miss Baxter. Her little daughter's been like this for 10 years. Uh, you know, she thinks Jesus is coming at 3 p.m. Sunday to heal her little girl. Okay, we'll go over there and just, you know, console her. Well, 3 p.m.? She stood up and she carried little Betty in her arms and set her down wrapped in those rags and set her down in a big easy chair and said, Okay, Jesus, you're not a man that you can lie, but you're God. And you said you'd be here at 3 p.m. It's 3 p.m., Lord, and we wait. And all of a sudden, the wind began to blow inside the house as a big, beautiful white cloud appeared and Jesus stepped out of that cloud. He walked over and little Betty said, if I could have reached out, if I could have moved a hand, I could have reached out and touched him. And this is what Jesus said. Betty, because you have not grumbled or complained about your situation, I have come to heal you. There's a message in that. How many people grumble and complain when they get sick? But she didn't. And he said, because you have not grumbled and complained about what's happened to you, I've come to completely heal you. And he said he reached out and put his hand on her head on that knot 
And when he run it down her back, said all in big old knots was just gone. So then he took his hand, said he reached down and put it on my insides, and I reached up and felt him grab my intestines and move them over in the right place. Then I felt him reach up and get a hold of my heart, squeeze it down to the right side, move it over where it's supposed to be. And then he pulled his hand out, and when he did, my arms come loose, my legs come loose. And as a 10-year-old girl, she jumped out of that chair and stood erect right in front of the king of the universe and said he was looking me right in the eye. Then he said he starts down, and he goes down, and he looks all the way down to my toes. She said, then he looks all the way back up to my face. She said, I guess he's admiring his work. <laughs> he said, now then, because you've not grumbled or complained, I've completely healed you. You are to go tell this message, and where you go, people will be saved and healed as you tell it. And you will not have to have any more sickness and disease until I come to take you home at the end of your life. And if you have not seen that testimony, you need to get a copy of the Betty Baxter deal because that little girl suffered for 10 years, but she stood on the Word with her mother. And she, as far as I know, has never had any sickness and disease. And in the video, she's still a beautiful woman preaching the gospel. You would never know that she was a little 10-year-old girl at one time all like that. But when Jesus comes, what can Jesus do? Nothing is impossible with him, right? Well, this is the first thing we need to get a hold of. Who are we serving? He's the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And he can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can think or imagine. And that power is in you. So, Jesus makes this statement in John fifteen seven: If you abide in me, Now, you see, there is a requirement. If you abide in Him, and, of course, I'm going to make this statement, if a man and a woman that are married together will abide in each other, there will never be a divorce in the church. Do you know that? But did you know that when a man and a woman, and, of course, I minister to people all the time, a man and a woman been married for 15 or 20 years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, And slowly but surely, the devil begins to work on the man. And all of a sudden, one day, he runs around with some other woman and commits adultery. That's not abiding in his wife. That's abiding in the world. And you want to break a human being's heart, you just let their mate run around with somebody else and commit adultery. And you talk about breaking their heart. It breaks their heart. And it'll do things to those people that even if they forgive each other and come back together, that marriage will never be the same. You know that? It can't ever be the same because there's been a violation in there. I don't care how hard you work at it. It will never be the same. There will always be that little thing of distrust there. So whatever you do, walk holy before God. Walk in obedience to Him. And if you'll do what He says and abide in Him and His words abide in you, then what kind of limitations for the obedient child of God has He given you? What are the limitations? Isn't that awesome? That God has given you and you unlimited resources. What do you have to do to get those? Abide in Him. 
You know what that means? Abiding in the king? Spending time with him. He is the king. He's the healer. I told Cheryl whenever she, when her daddy, uh, this is quite a ways, of course, but I had no idea one day she would be my wife. But at the time, she was just a member of my church. And when she called me and said, five doctors just said her daddy wasn't going to make it. He was going to die. And she said, I, I, what do I need to do? I said, well, is your daddy a man of faith? She said, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I said, well, then, Cheryl, you'll have to take God's word. I'll pray for you, but you'll have to take God's word. You have to go to that hospital, and you'll have to live and abide in Christ in that hospital 24-7 with your daddy if you want your daddy to live. Well, she said, I want my daddy to live. Okay. So I prayed for her. And she took the Word of God and she went down to that hospital and she stayed with her daddy day and night and fought the battle for him. And I think I talked to her three or four times as she would call me. I think about the middle of it, or two or three weeks into it, she called and she was crying. She said, Thurman, they said he's not going to make it today. I said, well, <clears throat> first thing you got to do is stop crying. Next thing we got to do is do what, king, what the king says. And come boldly to the throne of grace. I said, now you can't come boldly to the throne crying. Because there's no really no faith in those tears. You're, those are tears of fear for your daddy. So I said, repent. Drop your tears. And let's me and you go to the throne of grace. Now she's on the phone down in the hospital. And I'm up here somewhere. And we pray the prayer of faith. And we do this two or three or four times during this period of time. But in 55 days, she brought her daddy from five doctors saying he could not live, cannot live. Every day they'd say something else failed, he can't make it. She said, thank you, I don't receive it. The Word of God says something else. And they thought she was crazy. But in 55 days, her daddy's out, recovered, went back to work, and worked another almost another year. I mean, just worked. I mean, normal. Isn't that amazing? What you can do. Uh, what? Oh, yeah, we got a DVD back there of that testimony, too. But the thing about it is, that goes to show you what you can do. When the doctor says, I'm sorry, you have cancer. You say, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't see. I'm going to make sure all my sins are repented of. I'm going to make sure I have no unforgiveness. I'm going to make sure I'm walking in a love walk with everybody, not talking evil about nobody. And then the king says, I can, once I've repented of everything, I can ask him for anything, and he'll do it for me. Did he say that? Yes, he did. Now then, Let's go to another one of these magnificent, awesome promises that I've used here after John 15:7. Go to uh, John. Uh, in fact, uh, first of all, I want you to turn to John 13:34, and as, as you see, John 13:34, this is the requirement. This is like in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Lord says, "If you will be obedient and obey all my commandments and keep all my statutes." I will take all sickness and disease away from you, and you will have none. That's pretty clear, isn't it? So if that worked under the Torah or the Old Covenant, if you will be obedient and keep all of His commandments and keep all of His statutes, then He will take all sickness and disease away from you. Then if we do what He says, how often should we be sick? Never. Never. Well, what is the commandment under the New, new Covenant? Well, John 13, 34, it's written, A new commandment I give unto you. Now, he's talking to us. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, that is your commandment under the new covenant. Love. 
And, of course, Dave back there going to ORU, he's learned some good things. We've had some great discussions about some of the things he's learned. And just like walking in righteousness, it has never changed. From the old covenant to the new covenant, righteousness means doing deeds of loving kindness. God says, I have made you the righteousness of God in Christ. Under the old covenant, he says, be righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to do deeds of loving kindness. So, does that mean if my buddy over here runs me off the road in his 18-wheeler, I chase him down and say, you dummy, you, just because you're in a big truck, you think you own the whole road? <laughs> That's not what it means, is it, Harold? That's, right. That's not what it means. It means doing deeds of loving kindness. Now then, if this is a new covenant... A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Now, that if you do that, then all these promises from there on will work. Now, then, when you look at John 14, uh, we go from John 13, then we go to John 14. As we go to John 14, 12, this is almost more than the church can bear. This is almost more than we can bear. But Jesus is saying this, so he knows what he's talking about. John 14, 12, Jesus said, Now that if you walk in the love walk, if you keep my commandments, if you love one another as I've loved you, he said, this is what you can do. John 14, 12. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, Jesus, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, how many of you as Christians would like to see the same kind of things that Jesus did on this earth when you speak in his name? Would you like to see? Yes. And and some people have had the privilege to do that. I've seen some of those things myself, and I'm so grateful for those things in the last 10 years when I've spoken in the name of Jesus and seen the many healings and the many miracles, and like Dr. Uh, Gary up there in Salt Lake the other day when God healed his back or, 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 or that uh, gentleman down in Louisiana and Manny a couple of years ago that had uh, uh, a big old tree had fell across a tractor he was driving and crushed both of his legs and had steel braces from here down to his ankles and he hadn't walked a step in 21 months but they brought him to church that night where I was going to speak and after the service was over I prayed the prayer of faith for him according to these next two verses that I'm going to quote to you, John 14, 13, and 14, where look what Jesus says. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is that an awesome set of statements, young lady? Oh, awesome. What, honey? Oh, yeah, yeah, and we use those on Cheryl's dad, too. I've used these verses many times because Jesus, if you quote Jesus, you want to see something happen, quote Jesus. He watches over his word to perform it. Now, you got to think, it takes faith to have a man sitting up here on the front row with both legs sticking straight out with steel braces from here down. And you go up and lay your hands on him and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, according to these two verses... I am asking you to restore these two knees. After the man just told me that a tree 21 months ago fell on his legs and crushed him, and he ain't never going to walk. He hadn't walked a step and ain't never going to walk again, according to the doctors. 
But I'm asking you, Father, in Jesus' name, to make them knees like brand new so he can get up and run and play. And thank you, Lord, it's done. Now, do you believe that, Lord? Do you believe that, sir? Do you believe that, ma'am? He said, yes. I said, then take the steel off and throw it away and let's stand up and walk. It took faith for him to do that, didn't it? He started unstrapping all that stuff. And he threw it in the floor. And he bent his knees. I reached down and I said, now in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And I grabbed his hand and he stood up. When he stood up, he said, oh, oh, it hurts. I said, I know that devil's going to make it hurt. But I said, don't believe him. I said, come on, take a step. He took one step. I said, come on. Two, three. I said, you're on your own. And he walked up there and walked around the podium three times. And he broke and run down that aisle. And I mean, he's got both hands up in there just like Dave has. I mean, both hands screaming, God is awesome. Well, a year later, I went back down there and coming down the sidewalk with Johnny Brumfield and his wife and one of his sons. And I told Cheryl, I said, honey, I said, there's the man that God healed his legs when I prayed for him. Now then, guess who could do those kind of things? Only Jesus, right? Isn't that awesome to see that? Now, what kind of faith does it take to kneel down and pray that and tell the man to take it off and let's get up and walk? Takes faith, doesn't it? You've got to have it. Oh, you know what the devil will do to you when you start to pray for somebody like that? Oh, he'll say, you be. But you know what? I... He's told me that so many times I don't believe him no more. I don't believe him. Amen. I stopped believing him. I know I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I know that when I went to that church, I had my sins repented of, and I know I'm walking in this love walk that night. And when I prayed that prayer, Jesus instantly healed that man, and he's still to this day, two years later, running and playing after he hadn't walked a step in 21 months. Isn't God awesome? Isn't he awesome? He's more than awesome. What's wrong? The church needs to be believing this Word, don't we? If the church is believing the Word, then we don't have to worry about it. I mean, whenever the devil tries to come upon you, you just say, no, devil, no, no, no. You know, I'm not going there. Some kind of sickness and disease even tries to attach itself to you today. You first thing to do is say, whoops, Lord, let me think now. I've just had a pain or something come up on me. Have I done something wrong? Am I grumbling and complaining? Have I sinned? Have I had a bad thought? Am I praying for my neighbors? Am I praying for my enemies? Well, I hadn't prayed for the president yet today, so let me pray for him. But let me walk in love, Lord. Now then that I know I've got every sin repented of, now you devil of hell in the name of Jesus. Out of here. Out, 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 out. You ain't going to do this to me in Jesus' name. Or you may be a, a, a woman that's married to a man. And you're supposed to submit to your husband in all things. And you've had a problem. Like my lovely wife had a little fire in her stomach here a while back for a couple of days. And she's praying over this thing. And finally one night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, she wakes me up. She said, honey, you've got to pray for me. I said, what's wrong? She said, I've got this fire in my stomach. And I said, well, how long you had it? She said, two days. I said, well, why in the world have you waited all this time to ask me to pray for you? Well, she said, I thought I'd get it done myself. And I said, do you know you're in direct rebellion to God? She said, what do you mean? I said, you're my wife. You are to submit to me in all things, not some things. So I said, repent of your sin. And tell God you're sorry that you tried to go around me and get to him without going through me. I'm your priest. He put me in charge of the family. 
She said, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. So I reached over and laid my hand on her stomach. I said, now you devil of hell, out in the name of Jesus. And she was instantly healed. Instantly healed and asleep in five minutes. Slept like a baby all night that night. But let me tell you, it taught her a real lesson. See, she didn't know that. Does God hold you women responsible for that even though you don't know it? Yes, He does. He holds His little daughters responsible to submitting to their godly husbands. If you've got a godly husband, now, if you don't have a godly husband, ma'am, you're in trouble. You know, if you don't have a man that's walking with God, you're in big trouble. That's why God told you not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Because he's supposed to be your priest. Now, what if you're married to a man that goes to church and you go to church? But he likes to go to a Catholic church and you like to go to a Pentecostal church. You're not equally yoked. And you're going to have trouble getting your prayers answered. Because the Pentecostal woman that goes to the Pentecostal church, she's taught some of the Word of God. But that poor Catholic guy goes, he may go every Sunday, but he's certainly not taught the Word of God. Now, some Catholic church do teach the Word, but not very many of them. So you're pretty well unequally yoked. So, it's hard to be equally yoked. I mean, it's very difficult. So, you know, you really need, if you're a man and a woman and you're married, you need to get in the Word together and study the Word together, and then both of you need to do what it says. Both of you need to walk in love. The woman needs to submit to the husband in all things. He's supposed to be the priest. He's supposed to love her like Christ loved the church and gave His life for her and all those things. But that's where we're supposed to walk. And when we don't do that, when we step off of that, that's when we step off of that too before and fall. And sometimes we're able to catch that beam as we swing under it, you know, I can think about some of the pipes and bars and things when I built this building and all the stuff. I didn't do it on this one, but I have done it before, walking on beams, carrying welding cables and all kinds of stuff when I, and building stuff. And one of them things will catch me or something, and I reach out to step four feet, and I miss it, and I fall. And as I'm dropping everything with a hood on me and everything else and run my arms around the beam, I've never fell off of a building. But there's been a few times that if you were watching me, you'd think, what is that fool doing? As I'm up here dangling under that thing, dropping welding rods and hoods and everything, trying to climb back up on that beam and say, Lord, thank you for saving my skin. You know, especially when it's 15 or 20 feet to the concrete below. Kind of reminds me of walking the love walk when you step off of the beam and you're grabbing for everything. Now, you hope you didn't get far enough away from the love walk so that you step way out here. Because if you stepped way out there, forget it. You're going to fall all the way to the ground. If you're walking on the beam and your foot just misses it a little, there's a chance you go back. And that's where we hope we'll all stay. Because if you just really get off on some wild tangent and you get way out there and you step way out here, forget it. That beam's way back over there and you're going to fall straight down. And when you hit the ground, not only are you going to bounce on the concrete, but it's going to be a bunch of vipers down there to get you when you get there. And then vipers, they bite. And they're the ones that put sickness and disease on you. And that's where we don't want to go. We don't like that. But the Lord says right here in John 16, after that John 14, 13, 14, are those two awesome promises? I mean, those are unlimited of what God will do. Well, then why, in the, why does the church not believe these? 
Maybe we don't meet the criteria of John 13, 34, where he says, walk in love. You notice he put that in front. Before all these mighty promises, he said, a new commandment I give you, Harold, that you walk in love. Now, what if you don't walk in love? Then these things don't work, do they? Oh, so is, it worth, is it worth the price to walk in love? Absolutely. It is. Now, who do we know that can walk in a love walk 100% of the time? Only the that yet. Not at all. Is there anybody in here thinks you've mastered the love walk yet? <laughs> I don't see any hands going up. But at least we're trying, aren't we? We're trying. This is where we want to walk the love walk. Because when you can walk that love walk, you can stay on top of the beam all the time. But if you can walk close enough, when you do fall, you won't fall all the way to the pit. And you don't want to go there because when you fall to the pit, that's what's going to bring sickness and disease upon your body. You don't want to go there. Because Jesus made those awesome promises there in John 14, 13, and 14. But then in John 16, 23, and 24, look at this great promise. Now, remember, all this is based around walking in a love walk. Now, then, how easy is it to get back in the love walk? What if you're totally out of the love walk today? How easy is it to get back in the love walk? What do you have to do? Repent. Repent of your sins and according to 1 John 1, 9, if you repent of your sins, is the Lord righteous and just to forgive your sins and to restore you to fellowship? Isn't it wonderful to serve a God that good? No matter how bad we've been, if we repent, He'll restore us and put us back up on that beam. He'll reach down out of the snake pit and get you, put you back up on the beam. And say, okay, now then, dust you off and say, come on now, let's walk. I'll walk along beside you. I can walk on air out here, and I'll hold you as you walk on the beam. I'll, if you'll just walk with me, I'll stabilize you. I don't have to have the beam under me. I'm solid. I can't think of a more solid something I'd rather have than him. Can you, young lady? He is the beam. The, he is the anchor that you need. But... If you walk in that love walk, these are the promises He gives you. In verse 23 of John 16, He said, In that day, that's today, and in that day you shall ask Me, Jesus, nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in My name, He will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in My name. But now ask... And you shall receive that your joy may be full. Now then, when you get your sins repented of and you ask for this complete restoration or healing and that he promised to do it, you may be one of the fortunate ones like Dr. Gary Young that got it instantly. And I love to see God when he does something like that. But maybe you're one of those that's not quite so fortunate that got it instantly. But Dave would tell you back there as you heard him give his testimony... He is very fortunate now because 18 months later after he's gotten his complete healing and now they're able to have the baby, which they couldn't have before. Now they're able to have this precious little five-month-old or whatever little John is back there. If you hadn't seen him, he's a beautiful little guy and he's the apple of their life. You know, isn't it wonderful to do what God says? So whether you consider... Dr. Gary's supernaturally blessed because he got healed instantly. Or Dave, which take 18 months. In either case, 
we stood on the word. One of them got a miracle, but they both got a healing. And that's what we're looking for, right? We're Now then, he and his wife are walking in a place of faith and love where they don't want themselves or their children to ever have any kind of sickness and disease ever again. So they know the requirements. This is a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another. So if we keep that commandment, then all these promises, as, as Dave, as the priest of his home, walks in that love walk, anytime the enemy tries to come into his house to do anything to either him or his wife or his children, all he's got to do is say, no, devil, no, absolutely not. You have no authority here. I am not letting you in this house in the name of Jesus. Get out. And what does the devil have to do? He has to go away. What if you don't know that? What if you haven't studied the Word? And the devil comes to your house and he begins to put sickness and disease upon you. He will make you sick. He will do it. Because the average Christian today is just like I was most of my life. I never studied this magnificent Word. Wow. It's already after 3 o'clock. I mean to tell you, I'm having too much fun. Well, we're going, before we take a break, we're going to take an offering. We always take an offering at the healing schools, and we will do that right now. If you need an envelope, uh, Cheryl and somebody else may help her. I don't, uh, I don't know. Uh, somebody will. <clears throat> but if you need an envelope, if you'll hold up your hands, we will give you an envelope. And if you're going to give a check, you don't have to put it in an envelope. Just make the check out to TLSM. But if you're going to give cash and you want a receipt for it, you need to put your name and your address and everything on there. And it would be nice, too, if you put a phone number on there. Because last year it took us about a month to find out, figure out uh, where everybody was. We had some people we just couldn't find, a few. But we sent out uh, receipts to everybody we had their addresses. So anyway, when you, whatever you give to the ministry, be sure and tell the Lord, Lord, I'm giving this to your ministry, and I expect a return on my investment. I'm serious. God's a faith God. He says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall man give into your bosom, because with the same measure you use to give, it shall be returned to you. Let me tell you what. When I first started this and giving away one tape, it was not a big deal. But whenever I continued and started the healing schools and everything else, giving away stuff free, I thought this took some real faith. Well, let me tell you. When I started a church, people told me you can't do it now that you've started a church because people will take the stuff and they won't give enough money to cover it. And I said, look, if this stuff is God and he says given it shall be given, he'll take care of me. Do you know right now we are spending on blank media every week between three and $5,000 a week? A week. And we've got a dozen employees. And do you know what those employees, they want to be paid every week. I can't imagine that. Can you? They want money. But God provides through people to pay our bills, and we have never not had enough money every week to pay our bills. So, 
Father, in the name of Jesus, bless this offering that they take. Bless the giver and the gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so whatever it is you take up the offering, just remember to bless it and make sure that you've told the Lord, Lord, I'm giving this to you, and I expect you to bless me. In Jesus' name. And so as you do that, the Lord will bless you. And then uh, as soon as the offering's taken, uh, the bathrooms are men's and women both are over here on the far side of the gym. Uh, for the women, sometimes the women's get kind of crowded because there's only two stools in the women's room. But the nursery also has a bathroom in the back of it. So that's three. So for you women, but the men's, it's got two stools and a urinal. So we got a little bit more there. But it's all over there. And uh, we'll take about a 15-minute break. And remember, all the... Media back here, tapes, CDs, DVDs, videos, everything's free. You can take anything you want. And about 15 or 20 minutes now, come back and we'll start over again. That way we give you a break to go get a drink or go to the bathroom or whatever. There wasn't nothing out here and I built all this. But when I was redoing that house over there, I was putting sheetrock in the second floor. And I had my high lift truck there, which I had a hole in the middle of it that I had a cover off of. And when I picked up the last two sheets of sheetrock, I forgot that that hole was there. And so with two sheets of sheetrock, I stepped. And when I did, I stepped into the center of a two-by-two hole. And there ain't nothing nine feet down. Well, when a 170 or 80-pound man with two sheets of sheetrock can fall pretty fast when there ain't nothing under you. So as I went through, actually I stepped with my right leg. And when it went through, well, of course... My left leg's behind me, so as, as my left leg folds up like this, the steel on the edge of that hole grabbed the, my shin, and it ripped about three inches of meat plumb to the bone off of my shin. And, of course, I went through the hole. And, of course, as I go through the hole, my arms, of course, I've got these two big sheets of sheetrock, and I drop them, and they fall on edge. And, of course, as I'm spreading out there, well, when I hit, that hips right here on each side. Now, an average man, you know, that's my age, would, or even a young man, if you were to hit like that, chances are it would just fold your arms on up and break both your shoulders, and you'd go right on through the hole. But I screamed, Jesus, help me. And I screamed, Jesus, help me. When I hit the deck with those two arms, instead of folding up, my arms like this did this and shot me completely back up through that hole, but, I mean, any man 64, 3 or 4 or 5 years old could do that, right? <laughs> Big joke. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad you were there because nobody that I know could do that. But by shooting me completely back through the hole, just doing this, and it shot me plumb back up to that hole, and I wound up laying on top of the truck in time to reach up and catch the two sheets of sheetrock before they fell on me. Isn't that amazing? But it did tear a big chunk of meat off of me. So I had a miracle. God did a miracle when he raised me back up out of the hole. But then when I raised my britches leg up and looked and saw all that meat, blood running out all over the deck of the truck and everything else. And so, you know, I just looked down and said, Lord, I sure am glad you promised to heal all of my problems. That's in my benefit package in Psalm 103. So, I mean, that, that's the great ben, greatest benefit package in the world, isn't it, brother? Amen. But see, you've got to believe it. He promises to heal all of your problems. And so I said, Lord, thank you for that. And so I just pulled my sock up over it and uh, let the sock soak up the blood. And I just went back to work. 
You know, I didn't even wash it or nothing. I just went to work. I worked all day, put sheetrock up and did everything. When I got through, I got home that night. Of course, there was blood in my shoe and everything. I took a shower, you know, and washed and everything and looked and I said, Lord, piece of skin three inches long and an inch wide, plumb to the bone. That big old white shin bone still showing. I said, Lord, I sure am glad you're my healer. I said, now, Lord, you did say I could ask anything in your name. Did he not say that? Did he, brother? Okay, this is where faith kicks in. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna I'm gonna cover this thing up. I'm gonna put a stick a, a stickless bandage over it to protect it to keep the blood from running on the bed at night, so I don't get blood on the bed and everything. But I'm gonna ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, I want the skin to grow back across there and never scab over, and I want it to heal without a scar. I mean, you somebody say. That sounds kind of crazy. But did he say I could ask anything? I mean, if you can ask anything, then why not ask for something supernatural? You know? So I said, Lord, thank you. So in the next two and a half months, of course, in a week, in a week, my whole leg was swelled, my foot was swelled, my toes were black, I couldn't hardly get my boot on. I mean, I mean, it looked bad. And, of course, that big old red thing of my whole leg just turned blood red. You know, anybody to see that know I had blood poison. Anybody in their right mind would know that I had blood poison. But I never claimed it. I want to thank you, Lord, that I'm healed because your word says so. I even had some a young man that worked at a hospital one day. He happened to see it. I didn't plan for him to see it, but he come in when I had my boot off and everything, and he saw it, and he said, "My gosh, Thurman, you got blood poison that leg." I said, "I, re- I don't, I don't receive that curse in the name of Jesus." I do not have blood poison. He said, but Thurman. I said, no, dude, if you ain't got something good to say, get out. Get out. I don't want no unbelievers in here. So anyway, he left, and I just continued to stand on the Word. Well, about another week, all the red went away, and the black, my toes went away, and all that stuff, and everything looked pretty well normal. But I continued to wear that stickless bandage wrapped around my leg so it wouldn't bleed on the on my clothes or on the bed. And it took about two and a half months total. And in two and a half months, I watched that skin grow back across that place from bottom to top and side to side. And it never scabbed, not one time. And the skin just grew back. And today, there's not even a scar, not even a mark on my shin. He done the best skin graft, and it didn't cost me a thing. That's the best part I like. It didn't cost me anything. But I didn't go to a doctor or nothing. You know, I don't, I just don't believe in that. I believe that Jesus is all you need. I mean, I look back and, yeah, I know Luke might have been a doctor. But I don't ever see anywhere where Jesus had to go ask Luke how to take care of this situation. (laughs) Now, Luke, what do you think here? What do you think this guy's got, uh, whatever? What do you think I should do here? No, 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 no. I did, did you ever see anywhere where Jesus ever inquired of Luke? No, no, no. Luke had a lot of nice things to say about Jesus. But Jesus didn't ever ask Luke any questions about how I get this man healed. What do you think he's got, Luke? No, 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 no. Jesus knew everything, and he could get anybody healed. And today, he knows your problem. Now, for those of you that have any kind of sickness and disease... There's something I want to cover. We've covered all these wonderful promises, which we see these are absolute awesome statements. And 
if you're walking in the God kind of love, what kind of limitations did the king give you? Unlimited. I mean, you can ask for anything you want and he'll do it for you. But he does say, walk in my love to get these, right? Oh, so that means if you're talking evil about your friend, oh, you ain't going to get it, are you? No, if you're, if you're not doing it his way, then these promises are not there. But, and here is what we're going to talk about here on these promises. We've seen these. Uh, some people, I've had a lot of people say, in fact, I got one woman healed one day because she, I was showing her all these promises and she said, you know, Thurman, if all these promises are really real, then that means I could get out of this wheelchair and walk off. I said, yes, ma'am, that's true. But she said, you know, there's got to be sometimes when God says yes, and sometimes he says no. And so this has got to be one of those times that it's no, that's why I can't walk. I said, well, ma'am, you've allowed the enemy to deceive you. I said, I won't. I said, if I could show you a promise in God's word that if you've repented of ever sin and you're walking in a love walk, then all these promises were yes every time. Do you think you could get out of that wheelchair and walk off? Well, she said, well, but there is no such promise. I said, but if I could show you one, and it was in God's Word, would you then believe? She said, well, of course I would. I said, okay. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I said, I want you to read verse 20. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Oh, this must read in your Bible for... Some of the promises of God. Oh. What does yours say there, young lady? Oh. For all the promises of God in Him or in Christ are yes. And in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So how many times has God promised yes? Provided you got your sins repented of and you're walking in love, right? I see, a lot of people will see this and think, well, good grief, then that means I can have it. But I'm holding an unforgiveness toward my son, my ex-husband, my ex-wife. Everything's going good until you talk about your ex-wife. Whenever a guy said, oh yeah, I'm walking in love, well, what about Susie? You talking about my ex-wife? Oh, are you just stepped out of a love walk? He's not walking on that beam all of a sudden. He, this is the beam. He just stepped this way. Now, you see where I'm coming from? And man, he stepped right out into the snake pit. Well, that's how easy it is, you know, to say, yes, I'm walking in love. And then all of a sudden somebody says something about your ex you know, that really done you wrong. Oh, yeah, he might have done you wrong. She might have done you wrong. I mean, yeah, you may have every kind of legal right in the world from the world system to talk evil about him or her. But with God, that's not the case. It will bring sickness and disease to you, and it will kill you. And these promises of God don't work. So that's why people don't see this. But this woman, she had every sin repented of, and she was walking in a love walk. She just didn't have the faith. And when she meditated on that promise, she meditated on that promise. She said, you know, if all, all the promises of God are yes, she said, then this scripture right here in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 8, 
Let's go back. We're going to do a little thing in Matthew here. In Matthew chapter 8, and we go to verse uh, 17, Matthew eight seventeen. actually we'll start at verse 16. Matthew eight sixteen says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him, or Jesus, many that were possessed with devils. Now, what was these people's problem? They had demons. They were demonized, is what this means. They had devils or demons living in them. And he cast spirits with his word and healed all, how many? All that were sick. And verse 17 says, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now then, if you have all of your sins have repented of, and you're walking in the love walk, then you can claim this promise. If, if you're a child of God, and if you have all of your sins repented of, and if you're walking in the love walk, then what is there to keep you from walking in health? Nothing. So, when you claim this promise, that, and this woman was in a wheelchair, when she says, after she knew she had all of her sins repented of, she knew she didn't have no unforgiveness toward nobody, she knew she was walking in the God kind of love, she says, Himself, she said, Thurman, that's Jesus. I said, yes, ma'am. Jesus took, I said, put your name there. So Jesus took Susie's infirmities and bare Susie's sickness. I said, you either believe that or you don't believe it. She said, I believe it. I said, well, I reached out my hand and I says, why don't you just get out of that wheelchair and walk off? I said, you know, it sure would be nice if you thanked him first. She looked up and said, Lord, I sure am glad you bore my sickness and removed my disease. So since you've already bore it and you already removed it, that means I'm not sick no more. That means I can walk. So, Lord, I want to thank you that I can walk. And I just want to thank you and praise you right now. And so she reached up and took my hand. And I give her a little jerk. And she comes straight up and walked right off. I thought, isn't this awesome? What can you do by faith? All things. That's what Jesus said. It seemed like I read that somewhere in the Word. If you have faith, nothing shall be impossible with you. Isn't that amazing? But see, what if she had had some unforgiveness? Then we'd have tried everything, and she never would have got out of that wheelchair. She'd have still been there, because the devil still had legal right to her. Now then, <clears throat> while we're right here, let's go on to Matthew 18, and we're going to start with verse 21. And I'm going to show you what unforgiveness does to us. This is why so many people in the church are sick today. Because they don't know this principle. They don't understand this side of God. But Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, 
How often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but seventy times seven. Now that's 490 times a day. That's a whole bunch, isn't it, brother? I mean, if somebody sins against me 490 times a day, that, you finally want to just grab them by the chops and slap them once, <laughs> wouldn't you? That's what we'd want to do as human beings. That's what we'd want to do. But usually, for most of us, even if they sin against us one time, we find it hard to forgive them. But this is why Jesus said this, because he said, Peter, it's so important, so important that you walk in love, the God kind of love, which does not include any kind of unforgiveness, because it opens the door to the devil. And he said, I want to explain this to you in verse, the following verses here. said in verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Now, where is the kingdom of heaven today? That's right, ma'am. It's in you and me. So when I say the kingdom of heaven, it's right there. The kingdom of heaven is in us as Christians. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. The kingdom of heaven is in us. And so he says, and verse 24 says, And when he had begun to reckon or take uh, with these accounts, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now that is millions and millions of dollars. That's a big debt. Some of you may in this room today may be sitting in here with either no money or you may have $10,000 in your pocket. But if you have $10,000 in your pocket, this little 10,000 talents here actually... In one of the translations I've read where they actually uh, uh, converted it to today's currency, they say it's $3.84 billion. Now, I know all y'all got that kind of money in the bank at home. Some of you might have brought that with you in your purse, but uh, we can't even count that high, can we? $3.84 billion? Give me a break. But Jesus said he owed him $3.84 billion. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. Now, here's something that's really, really important. He commanded him to be sold and his wife. And children. And all that he had and payment to be made. Now, who was going to have to pay the price for this huge debt? Everybody in the family, I mean the man, the wife, the children, and all of their assets. That's a pretty costly price, isn't it? Everything. But Jesus said, this is the way it is. He said, the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him. Now you notice what that servant did? He fell down and did what? Worshipped to the king. And saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and he loosed him, or released him, and forgave him the debt. Can you imagine being forgiven 
$3.84 billion? I mean, I can't even count that high. But if I owed that much money and I couldn't pay it, and the person I owed it to came to me and said, you don't owe me a penny. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? That would be super wonderful. But that's what, this, that's what happened in this case. And it says, and he for, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out from there and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. That's just a few measly hundred dollars. And he had, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, "Pay me what you owe me." Now the man didn't even take the man by the throat that owed the three point eight four. The guy that owes this little tiny debt, he goes out just a hundred pence, and he's strangling this guy, telling him, "Pay me what you owe me." Wow, what a difference in these two people. And it says, and his fellow servants fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Where have we heard that story recently? The same guy's doing the choking. He was fell down, and look what happened. And he would not. But he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Boy, isn't that a lovely guy? The guy's just been forgiven three point eight four ten thousand talents. And no debt. And now here's somebody owes him a few measly hundred dollars. He's grabbing him by the neck, choking him, and says, No, I ain't going to have no compassion on you. I want my hundred dollars. Throw him into jail. Isn't he really? I'm doing something here. Okay, praise the Lord. I'll try to not move. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. And anyway, after this guy, which he wouldn't, uh, and he throwed him in jail, and it says so in verse 31, so when the fellow, his fellow servants saw what was done, they went, they were very sorry, and they came and told under their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, Oh, you wicked servant. Now, this guy now has been forgiven, but now he's been called back in and he's been called a wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you desired me to. Shouldest not you also have had compassion on your fellow servant even as I had pity on you. And his Lord was wroth or angry and delivered him to the tormentors or the torturers or the demons till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now, how would you like to be turned over to the devil? Look what the next verse says. Now, first of all, in this picture here, who is it that owes this huge debt to the king for our sins. We do. Now then, have you ever sinned in your life? Oh yeah, me too. So who am I going to be accountable to? The king. And is he going to forgive all those? Yeah. Send his son to pay the price so I could be free. 
I hope my battery is not going down. I don't know what's going on here. I'm getting all this. Uh... But anyway, whenever he forgave, and yet me, my huge debt, because he went to the cross to pay the price for a debt I couldn't pay. And this is what this is a picture of. I come to him and ask him to forgive me for such a huge debt that I can't even begin to pay it. And he said, that's okay, son. No problem. I sent my son to pay the price for you. All you got to do is believe, and he'll take care of your huge debt. You owe me 10,000 talents or millions of dollars, and you can't pay. So because you'll come and worship me, I'm going to forgive your debt. But he says, now then you've got to go forgive your brothers and sisters for these little nickel-dime debts they have against you. But Lord, you don't realize what my ex-husband did to me. You don't realize what my ex-wife did to me. You don't realize what my friend did to me. I'm not going to forgive him. The Lord says, okay. If you're not going to forgive him for those little nickel-dime debts that they owe you, then this is what I'm going to do to you. And in verse 35, he tells you, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Now what? Do what? Turn you over to the torturer. Would you like to be turned over to a demon? Would you like for the Lord to send a demon to your house? Move up residency within you and torment you and make you sick and afflict you? And would you like for him to send a because you have the unforgiveness? Do you want him to send a torture to your wife or to your husband and to your children? Do you want to be penniless? Do you want all of your assets to be turned over to the devil? Or had you rather God be in control of them? Ooh, I'd rather the Lord be watching over man. Because he says, if you'll be obedient and do everything I tell you to do, I will bless your socks off. Now, how many of you want to be blessed? Hey, I want to be blessed. Well, you have to do it his way. If you are going to be blessed, one thing you can't have is unforgiveness. Now then, we do it. We say, Lord, I forgive her for what she did. I will absolutely say, Lord, for Jane, what she did to me, or Susie, I forgive her and I promise to walk in love. Okay, that's good, Lord. I've forgiven her now. It's all over. A few days later, you go down to the you go shopping, you walk down the aisle and you look down the aisle and Oh, there's Jane down yonder on the far end. Well, I think I'll walk down this aisle and go around this way. Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Okay, if you have faith, nothing is impossible with you, the king says. Without faith, you can't do nothing. Without faith, you can't please him. You have to have the word of God hidden in your heart. Verse 23, Peter says, or Jesus says, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, is that an awesome promise from God? That is an awesome Awesome, awesome promise from God. And then look at the next verse. 
He says, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. What is our limitations as children of God walking in obedience to His Word? None. Absolutely. Isn't that wonderful to learn? So why do these things not work for us? That must tell us where we're living. But look what he says. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, asking for these anything, forgive. Forgive. If you have ought or anything against anyone, so that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Verse 26. But if you do not forgive... Neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So guess what? If you come and ask for something and you've got an unforgiveness towards someone, what is your answer going to be? No. He's not even going to hear your prayer. You see that? If God does not forgive you, your sins, your trespasses... You're in trouble. You see that? You see why so many people don't get their answer when they pray? Because they got a little grudge against someone. A man. I don't know what. I don't know what's wrong with it. There's something loose somewhere. Let's try it again. Okay. Can you hear it now? Okay. 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 There was a man one time that had athlete's foot. And I had prayed with him over and over and over about every... I don't know how many times we had rebuked that devil of hell and we could not get him healed. I told him one day, I said, you got some kind of sin somewhere and more than likely it's unforgiveness because I said... God has a zero tolerance for unforgiveness. And I said, you know, I prayed for numerous people for athlete's foot and got them healed. And many of them instantly. But I said, it's not working for you. I said, athlete's foot's a demon. And I said, I know it's a demon because the Lord told me it was. And I used to have it for years. And I said, I rebuked the demon, drove it away. And I said, I don't know how many people I've seen healed of athlete's foot. But I said, we can't get you healed. I said, you got some kind of a sin somewhere. And he said, well, Thurman, I've sought my life, I've researched, I've done everything, and if I've got anything, I don't know what it is. I said, well, when you start home this afternoon, you pray and you ask the Lord. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, if there's anything I have yet to get right with you, or if I have any unforgiveness or anything, you please show it to me, because I want to be healed, and I know what your promises are, but for some reason, I'm not hitting it. And so, Lord, I ask you to show me. So the next morning he walked in and he said, Thurman, I got in my truck and I started home. And I started petitioning the Lord and said, immediately God brought two men's names to me that was in high school with me. When I was a freshman, they were seniors. And I hadn't seen or even thought about them guys since that because they graduated that next year and went somewhere else and said, them two guys was two great big guys. They were about three years older than me and said, they just picked on me all time and said every time I'd see them in the hall or anything, they'd just gang up on me and punch me in the stomach and do all kinds of things. And he said, I remember saying, if I ever get grown, get bigger than them guys, I'm going to kill them both. 
And he said, I had, well, they got, they graduated from high school that year and went there and said, I ain't thought of those men in 20 or 30 years. But he said, those names came back to me when I asked the Lord, is there something that I've done wrong? Well, do you see anything wrong with telling out loud that if I ever come in contact with you guys when I get grown, I'm going to kill you guys? You see anything wrong with that? Yes. And had God remembered those words? Had the devil remembered those words? Yes. And so that's what it was. And so he repented and said, Lord, I have no idea where those two guys are. I, I ain't seen them. I know in 20 years. And so, Lord, I repent. I forgive those guys. Lord, I love those guys. If I were to see them right now, I'd walk into God kind of love because what they did to me don't mean nothing. But see, he had voiced it. And it was still there. And he repented. And he came back in and he said, Thurman, I've repented. I said, good. I said, let's command that devil to leave you and you'll get healed. We did and just like that, virtually instantly, his athlete's foot problem went away and he was healed. Now, isn't it amazing that the devil, he had an unforgiveness toward two men. that dis- Can't you just see boys in high school? Two guys that are walking down the hall and they, they know it kind of rubs you wrong. And every time they see you, I mean, everybody's seen guys do this. Get over two of them, get against some little guy, punch him in the belly a couple of times, say, you pansy, you punch him. And, you know, just, just aggravate him. That's just the way boys are. But of course, this younger guy, as they'd get him or punch him, they wasn't really hurting him bad, but they was hurting him. They was messing with him. I mean, man, he built up that anger. I'm going to get you guys. You know, he wouldn't tell them that out loud because he thought if he did, they'd get, get, get him. But he's in his, He's speaking, I'll get even with you guys if it's the last thing I ever do. I'll kill you guys if I catch you out somewhere when I get grown. God held him accountable for that. And it opened the door to the devil. And all those years he had had that athlete's foot and couldn't get healed. But when he repented, we got him healed. Totally changed everything. Is it real easy And this is something that really gets men and women that are married. One or the other does something wrong to the other one, and it creates a divorce. Who knows what they do? Maybe it's deserving from a physical standpoint. But with God, you can't hold a grudge. If you hold a grudge, unforgiveness, and Cheryl and I have noticed this in the last year, We've been keeping some pretty good records. Every person, without exception, that comes to us for healing that has cancer has unforgiveness towards someone. Every time. Cancer is always unforgiveness. So, until you forgive, you cannot get well. And then another thing that's so devastating... When you take one of these magnificent promises of God and you stand on one of these promises, the king says, in fact, one of the, this young men up here, he quoted this verse in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.6. I want you to see this. You, these are things you have to know for your healing. You have to know that it's yours, but you have to know God's way of getting it done. Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 6 makes this statement. But without faith, 
it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, is that what it said? Without faith or total trust in the word, the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. The Lord says, without faith. In other words, if you don't have faith, what can you do to please God? Nothing. You can't please Him. So for you men and women in here that are married, I'll just use Cheryl and I, since I don't know, just because you're with a man or woman doesn't necessarily mean you're married to that man or woman. You may be a friend or a brother or whatever. But the thing about it is, if nothing I did made this girl happy, what do you think she would want to do for me? Oh, she answered that herself. Nothing. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, huh? But if what if everything I did pleases her? It's just like then the other day, uh, I forget what it was, something. I was around the back working on something at the minister center, and she come out there and asked me for something. I said, well, that's over at the house. Uh, she said, good grief, I've just come from the house. I said, well, no problem, honey. I'll run over there and get it for you. And so I ran over to the house, got what it was, and ran back over there and gave it to her. She said, you're so sweet, you know, to run get that for me. Well, see, when you please her, then what will she do for me? Anything I ask her to do for me. And, you know, it's kind of... You know, now then, it's wonderful, you know, if I could ask her to do anything I want her to do, but I never had to do anything to please her. It don't work like that, though, does it? No, 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 you girls are all shaking your head. I know y'all. No, no. You got to please. Now, if God says you can't please me, if you don't please him, guess what he's going to do for you? Nothing. That's absolutely right. So, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Okay. Let's turn over here from... uh Hebrews, let's turn over to James chapter 5, and I want to show you one of the promises that God's given in here to heal all of His children every time if they will be obedient to His Word. James 5.14. James 5.14, He says, Is any sick among you? So who, who would that include? That include all of us. Anybody in the church? He says, Is any sick among you? Let him or her call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, so far, that sounds real simple, doesn't it? Sounds real simple. And he says, and the prayer of faith. Now, not that prayer of unbelief, not just a prayer, but a prayer of faith. Now, you will find it very difficult to find in most churches people that can pray the prayer of faith. Most of them don't believe the Word, do they, J.C.? You know, here's what people will say. Well, Lord, we're going to anoint this woman or this man with oil, according to James 5.14. Now, Lord, if it be Your will, will You heal them? And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Nothing. That's exactly right. Because they're, what they're trying to do is say, Well, God, we're going to put this monkey on You. And if it's your will, you can heal them. If not, then you can let them die. But we ain't gonna, we ain't gonna say it's our fault because you don't get healed. We ain't gonna go there. We're not gonna take this responsibility. 
It's your fault, God, not ours. See, we've never changed a bit since the Garden of Eden. I can only think of after Adam was made, and he made, and God made all the animals, and He named them all, and everything He did, and then He looked around and He said, well, everybody's got a mate but me. God says, oh, let me do my first surgery. So he puts him to sleep and he opens him up and he takes a piece out of his side, sews him back up, you know, by putting his hand on, don't even leave a scar. And then he takes his piece he took out and he forms her and then he wakes Adam up and he looks and I can just see him now when he looks this thing in the eyes and he says, wow, look at this. This is bone out of my bone. God's made her for me. Wow, look at this. I can only see that. But just a little while later, the Lord comes and says, Adam, where are you, Adam? Adam, have you done something wrong? He said, Lord, it was that woman you gave me. She's the one that did it. He said, Eve, what have you done? She said, Lord, it was the serpent. He beguiled me. We had not changed a bit, have we? <laughs> Nobody wants to take... So all Adam had to do was say, Lord, I messed up. That beautiful woman you give me, she went over there and got some fruit and brought it to me. I didn't have to eat it, but I did. It's my fault, Lord. I, I'm, I'm guilty. That would have been what he should have done, wasn't it? No, 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 no. We hadn't changed a bit. I mean, today, I mean, I looked in the engineering world all those years I worked with all those men. I could come out and say, hey, men, whoever done that job, you guys done a good job. I want to know who did this. And about four men say, I had a part in this. Oh, but I could say, hey, this job was lousy. I want to know who did it. And there ain't nobody done that job. You know, when the reward's going to be passed out, everybody wants in on it. Whatever there's condemnation, nobody wants to be in on it. We didn't have nothing to do with it. We haven't changed a bit since the Garden of Eden. But look what he says. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, is that pretty awesome? Why don't the church use this? I can't understand why a church with the book with these kind of promises would ever go to a doctor for any reason. I just don't understand it. I mean, of course, thank goodness for good doctors, because for the first 40 years of my life, I didn't know these principles either. And if it hadn't been for some good doctors, I'd have probably already been dead. Praise God. But once I learn these promises, I don't need them doctors no more. I don't have to have health insurance no more. I mean, I don't have to spend three or four or five hundred dollars a month for health insurance. I hadn't in years. I hadn't had a sick day in over twenty years. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus doesn't charge for house calls. It's simple. You know, you pray and it happens. It's so wonderful. But Jesus said, and verse sixteen, you notice what he said there? Confess your faults or your sins one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Okay? If you have to confess your faults before you can be healed, that's pretty standard all throughout the Word, isn't it? Get rid of your sin, then pray the prayer of faith and I'll heal you. Well, why don't we go a step further? Don't ever have any sins 
And then what? Hey, you don't have to confess and you don't have to be sick, do you? When the devil tries to come to you, you can tell him where to go. And man, that's a wonderful thing. When you can get to that point where you can, Jesus said in Luke 10, 19 and 20, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, you don't have to rejoice in this, that the demons have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Now, why in the world does that verse not work for most Christians? Because they don't walk in the love walk. They're walking in the devil's world. Now, if you're not walking in the love walk, you don't have that kind of power. If you're not walking in the God kind of love, if you've got an unforgiveness towards someone, you can't walk in that. If you're lying or stealing or cheating or doing anything that does not line up with the Word of God, He's not going to give you that power. So when you pray, very little is going to happen. You know, He may let some little things happen, but He's not going to let nothing big happen. You're not going to see any miracles. I mean, I've seen people... I know many, many, many people in the church, and some of them have been in the church for all their life. Some of them are doctors of theology. Some of them are PhDs in seminaries, and they've never seen a miracle when they prayed. Are they living in any kind of sin? Not that you can see. Would they use any foul language? No. Would they steal? No. Would they cheat? Would they commit adultery? No. Then what is their sin? Unbelief. Unbelief of the promises of God. Is that a sin? Absolutely. You can't have a sin of unbelief and see God do miracles when you pray. If you're walking in the God kind of love, and if you're doing what the Lord says here, He says right here, if you confess your faults one to another and pray one for another, you will be healed. If somebody prayed the prayer of faith for you, Because it says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now then, you need to ask the man that's going to pray for you, are you a righteous man? And if he says no, then what do you want him to do? You don't want him to pray for you, do you? If he says, absolutely, I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. I am a son of God. I'm walking holy in obedience to God's Word. I have every sin repented of. And I am most definitely a son of God. And I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, what do you need? I'll pray for the prayer of faith for you. And I'm going to guarantee you when I pray, the King of the universe is going to heal you. Now, that's the kind of man you want to pray for you. Is that right? That's the one you want praying for you. And then, after he prays for you, is there anything you got to do? Yes. Turn back to James chapter 1, and I want you to see what he says in James 1, verse 6. James chapter 1, verse 6. But let him or her ask in faith nothing wavering. How much can you waver? Well, now then, he says, Let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that waveth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man or woman think that they shall receive anything from the Lord. 
You're a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So, here's what people do. They come to me all the time. I have this problem. I come to the healing school or come to church on Sunday or Bible study on Tuesday or whatever. And I, I've got this problem. And I want you to pray the prayer of faith with me tonight, Tuesday night Bible study. Because I have an appointment with the doctor Thursday morning. And I'm going to give God from Tuesday night to Thursday morning to see if he can heal me. Now then, when I go in, if I'm healed, if, I, if, if the tests show up okay, I know I'm healed. But if not, then I'm going to make an appointment for surgery. Well, you might as well go ahead and make an appointment for your surgery. You see where I'm coming from? You have to believe God's Word. He's a faith God. You know, if you don't believe He can do what He said, it's be kind of like me, and I'm just a man. If you come to me and say, I want you to build and design me a new home. I mean, you know, I'm an architect, I'm an engineer, you know, I've built a lot of buildings, big ones, little ones, and all kinds of them, all over the world. But if you come and say, I want you to build me a simple little uh, three-bedroom home with two baths, and I'd like it laid out kind of like this, and so I do you a set of drawings, and you look at it, and you say, okay, that's what I want. How much can you build it for me for? And I'll tell you, and then you say, well, you know, I'm... Although I look out there and I see ten that you built, and I see that set of drawings, I'm still not exactly convinced that you are capable of building that house. If they tell me that, then you know what I'm going to tell them? Go find you somebody else. Go find you somebody else. If you can look out there and see all them houses that I've built, and you can look at this set of drawings I did, and you don't think I can build one more like it, then forget it. Go find you somebody else. Well, that's kind of the way God is. You know, if you don't believe when you come to me, after all, He says, I'm only God. Is that a big statement? I'm only God? Now, from an engineering standpoint, I think about it like this. I can understand when Job got sick and he had the problems he had, when the Lord came to Job and He said, Job... Did I have to inquire of you when I hung the foundations of the earth? I mean, it wouldn't, been, it wouldn't done no good for him to ask me how to hang the foundations of the earth. I, I, have, I have enough problem trying to figure out how to put the foundations of different sized buildings so that they don't have any cracks in the walls and all that stuff in the different kinds of soil across the country just right here on this, on this earth. But to build a little tiny building... You know, biggest one I ever built is a quarter million square feet, but that's a little one compared to some. But to me, it was a big one. But that's the biggest one I've ever built. But to hang the world in space, to have an empty galaxy out there or an empty nothing, and the Lord to say, okay, I'm going to put me a sun right over there, and then I'm going to put a little ball out here, and I'm going to let it, I'm going to call it the earth, and I'm going to give it a little sling through space so it will travel just about 70,000 miles an hour or something like that forward speed. Just about 70,000, 69.7 or whatever it is. And I want to give it a little spin so it will turn at 1,003 miles an hour so it will make one revolution every 24 hours and zero seconds. And then I'm going to put a little wobble on this baseball so that as it goes around this circle... It will tilt so that it will give them four different seasons of the year so they won't have to get 
you know, won't always be hot or always be cold. They'll have summer, winter, fall, and spring. I'm going to do all that. You know, can you can you even begin to think like that? I can't. Can you, young lady? But he did. And then he said, oh, by the way, I'll throw all this around the center of the cosmos. And, of course, our galaxy, from what I understand, is only going around the center of the cosmos at about 500,000 miles an hour. So our galaxy is flowing through space at a half a million miles an hour. The Earth's rotating at 1,003, and it's going nearly 70,000 miles an hour to go around the sun. So it makes a complete revolution every 24, I mean, every uh uh, 365 and a quarter days, and none of this ever varies. We set our clocks with spring, summer, fall, and winter every year. And who made all that? God. And then after he got through making that, he said, by the way, I believe I'll make you all a few stars out there too. Just a few trillion of them. So just kind of waved his hand and said, let there be. And it's, the scripture says that he named and numbered all the stars. He's only God. You got to get a hold of who He is. When you get a hold of who He is, then you can stand for your healing, right? I mean, you can stand for anything. Then you don't have no fear. When He says, "Cast all your cares on Me, because I care for you," all you need to do is repent of your sins. If you got a problem, let Thurman or one of these other prayer warriors pray the prayer of faith for you. And when they prayed the prayer of faith for you, I made you a guarantee, if you'll believe with no doubt in my word, I guarantee if you'll get rid of your sins, you'll get rid of your unforgiveness, you'll walk into God kind of love, and you'll come up there and let Him anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith for you, I guarantee you, I, Jesus, will heal you. Did He say that? Did He say that? If the king said that, then why in the world does the church go to the doctors and say it to Jesus? Well, why do we say, well, I'm going to give him till Thursday. And if he don't do it by Thursday, then I'm going to go ahead and have my surgery. For, well, you might as well go ahead and have your surgery. See, Dave didn't do that. Dave come to the Lord and said, Lord, you said in your word, bam, it's done. We pray the prayer of faith. It's done. It's done. Well, a month later, it ain't done. But in his heart, it's done. But six months later, it still in the flesh is not done. But in his heart, it's done. A year later, when he smells like death, now, that's where most of us really would miss it, right? When you're hurting that bad, and your skin is oozing and weeping, and you can't put clothes on you, can't put shoes on you, and even people in the church are coming up to you and saying, you know, Dave, I have a doctor here in Dallas that's very good, and I really have faith in him. You know, you look so awful. Why don't you go to the doctor? Who are you going to believe under those kind of circumstances? You're either going to believe God or you're going to believe your symptoms. And if you believe anything but God, then you're going to have to trust the doctors to heal you. Now then, if you have an unforgiveness or a sin in your life that's there, that's bringing on your problem, it makes no difference what the doctors do. They will never be able to heal you. That's like this man over here in Fort Worth a few years ago that had unforgiveness toward a man for something he had done to his little granddaughter, three, two or three-year-old granddaughter. He had a really bad unforgiveness. And he was in the hospital in Fort Worth. He was a deacon in a Baptist church. And he had an unforgiveness 
toward this man. And when I found out what it, that it was unforgiveness, I told him, you have to forgive. And he told me, so, well, I have to pray about it. Now, is it going to do any good to pray about something God told you what to do? No. God, you don't have to pray about unforgiveness. He told you what to do with it. That's just like somebody said, well, I have to pray if it's His will to heal me. Well, forget it. He knows what His will is for healing. He's told you, confess your sins and have been anointed with all and pray the prayer of faith for you and I will heal you. Did He say that? If He said that, then from the time you ask forgiveness and the prayer of faith is prayed for you, then it's up to you to stand on His Word. Now then, if you stand a day and you wake up in the morning and you're totally healed, then that's okay. Is that, oh, that's what we want, right? But if you're a week later and you still, even if you get healed a week later, it's not too bad. But if it's a month later, most people say, this stuff didn't work. I want that healing school out there and look at me. I'm worse now than I was. I mean, you know, that happens. That's what happened to Dave. I mean, he's worse than he was. A month, but he wasn't really a whole lot worse, but he was worse. But every month he got worse. And worse and worse. And a year later, when you smell like death, how hard is it to believe this is real? But you look at him today. That good-looking young man back there with that beautiful baby and that beautiful wife. And, and they're walking in a love walk. And he don't have a sore on his body nowhere after 40 years of sores. Can you trust Jesus for something like that? Is he the healer? He's the healer. But what does He require? You get rid of your sins. You get rid of your unforgiveness. And then you must believe He can do what He said He could do. Now, as the King of the universe, when I think about the magnificent things I've seen God do in my lifetime, like the healing of Johnny's knees and Dr. Gary's back, and I've seen backs healed many, many times, but... I think of that story that happened to A.A. Allen. Now, I have never had anything like this happen to me, but A.A. Allen in the 50s, I think it was in 52 or something, they brought a little baby boy to him, four years old, and handed him to him on the platform. And there was 4,000 people there that day that saw this. And that four-year-old baby boy had no eyes. He had no ears. His tongue would not go back in his mouth. It was hanging out. His little arms were all locked and twisted, and his legs were turned up and twisted in his stomach. And the doctors had said when the boy was born, he could not live. It was impossible. But he had lived four years. Now, this mother had drove from one state to another state to drive to bring this boy to this service. Now, you don't normally take a child to church to be healed unless you've heard miracles happen, especially if the child's in that kind of shape. So, A.A. Allen had seen God do exceedingly abundantly above all I've ever seen him do. But that day when they handed that little baby to A.A. in front of 4,000 people, he held that little tiny thing up and asked the Lord to do a miracle on this child. And right before everybody's eyes... They saw the little tongue go back in his mouth. They saw whirlpools form and eyes. They saw ears grow out. They saw his little arms come loose, his little legs come loose. And saw a little boy 
with 26 incurable diseases which had never saw or heard or spoken a word jump out of A.A. Allen's arms onto the platform and run off the edge of the platform and jump into the arms of a woman he had never seen, which was his mother, and holler, Mama. How would you like to be in a church service and see God do something like that? Yes, Jesus. But he didn't stop there. That day after he healed that little boy, without a word spoken, there was 13 wheelchair people right up here on the front, and all 13 of them jumped up and was instantly healed. There was 15 stretchers over here on this side, and all 15 of them were instantly healed. And in the next hour, all throughout the congregation of 4,000 people, with every kind of thing, garters, tumors, cancers, and everything else, every individual in that church was healed in the next hour without a word being spoken. Just God moved through that place. And you know why He did that? This is what blew me away when I learned this. That little woman that went down there had spent all of her money but $20. She had $20 left. Her car was out of gas. And she had to drive back to another state to get home. She'd come with another woman. And that night when A.A. said, we're going to take up an offering. He said, when you give, give God a sacrifice tonight. Don't just give Him an offering. So when the offering bucket was passed, that woman put her last $20 bill in that offering bucket. That's all she had. Her car was out of gas. Now she, by faith, somehow, with a handicapped boy and another woman, is going to drive a car out of gas back to another state with no money. How do you do that? By faith. By faith. And because of that woman's faith, when she gave God her last $20 bill, I can just see the king of the universe sitting right there watching her and said, You know, that woman really believes me. And she dropped that $20 bill in there and he said, she ain't got a dime to her name and she's got that sick boy. He said, tonight let them watch what I'm going to do. And when he did what he did, not only did he stop, not only stop with healing her son and all the other people in the whole place, but then people started coming down to the front and I forget now how many dollars before it was over that night, there was either two, three, or four hundred dollars handed into that woman's hand by other people. So when she left there that night because she gave God her last $20 bill, she wound up with many times more money than that and a healed child and everybody in the building of 4,000 people was healed. How would you like to go to a healing service and see God show up like that? Hey, I hold up both hands on that. I would like to go and see the king do something like that. Now, I've seen him do a lot of wonderful things, but I ain't never seen him do nothing even compares to that. Nothing. But I ain't never had 4,000 people in a meeting either. So there must be something wrong with me. (laughs) Something wrong because I'm not seeing those kind of results. We are seeing the king do some awesome, wonderful things. But I believe God has given me a different ministry than that. He's given me a ministry to teach you what causes sin, how to repent of the sin, and then that you can pray the prayers of faith and see the same things, supposedly, as I see and as A.A. saw. And when... Your faith gets to that level. And over the years, this is the thing that we have seen in this little ministry. So many people have learned how to get their sins repented of and walk in this. That This is what I love when people come in and say, Wow, we've been studying your stuff. We are obedient to what God says. And we've seen three miracles and 40 healings. And we've prayed directly for people. And we've taught other people in our church. We're using the same things that you've taught us out of the Word. And we're seeing awesome things happen. That's what I love.
to see it work for other people. Because this is not just for a few. This power that we're to walk in is for the church. All of us are supposed to be able to pray the prayer of faith for people and get them healed, right? When you're driving down the road in that truck, you pray the prayer of faith for people. Harold said, I've been listening to your stuff for two years. And it's totally changed his life. I mean, the way he does business is totally different than it was two years ago. And you're still, well, we all are, Harold. Every one of us are still learning. But it will teach you to walk in the God kind of love. And then when you pray for people, I mean, it's, isn't it wonderful? You go into a restaurant. I mean, I can only imagine how many places like that Harold gets to go into at restaurants, truck stops, and everything else. Can you imagine walking in and there's some woman or some man or whatever, and you see they got a problem or something, and you say, hey, could I pray for you? And they say, well, what for? Well, I see you're in a wheelchair or whatever. And I see you got a broken arm. Can I pray for it? Well, okay. And you reach over and lay your hand on them and pray for them. And all the pain goes away. Or they have a they walk out and they oh my, I got this headache. Oh, you got a headache? Can I pray for you? <laughs> right now, I'll take anything. And you reach up and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that headache. And the guy says, good grief, it left. I don't have it. Now, how did you do that? Well, it's simple. I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. Everybody standing around and said, wow, what kind of Jesus do you serve? Unfortunately, half of them are Christians. <laughs> Isn't that true? But whenever they see you walking in a demonstration of the Spirit's power, they want to know who your Jesus is. Well, let me tell you who He is. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And when we'll do what He says and we walk in His God kind of love, He says, if you'll do what I say and walk in love, then you can come and ask me for anything. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? You reckon He really meant that? Yes, He did. He meant it. So if we're willing to walk in the God kind of love, there's nobody in this place needs to go home here today without receiving your healing because Jesus said, if you will repent of your sins and you'll believe my word, I guarantee to heal you. Didn't he? So when you leave here and you find friends in church or friends in the workplace or anything else, that if they're sick and afflicted, if they're not Christians, don't, don't badger them with the word of God. Don't tell them they need to straighten up their act. They need to quit sinning because if they're not Christians, they ain't going to understand what you're saying anyway. If they're not children of God. See, God don't hold them accountable yet. So you say, you know, Susie, you know, you're down here at work with me. And I mean, I know you've had these headaches and all this problem. You've got this arm, this shoulder pain. Can I pray for you? I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. And I want to know my Jesus loves you. She said, well, I don't know who he is. We said, but I know who he is. And he knows you. Can I lay my hands on you and pray for you? Okay. So you reach up and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. And she says, oh my gosh, I don't have any pain anymore. Or she comes to work the next morning. Hey, I went home last night and my pain's gone. I feel great today. Whoa! How'd you say you've done this? Well, it was by Jesus. Now let me tell you how much He loves you. He heals you. Now He wants to save you. you got their attention. You can talk to them now because they've been healed. That's what Jesus does miracles for. But if you're not walking in God's kind of love, He won't do that for you. He's going to share His power with you if you're living out there in sin just as bad as the rest of them down at the office. But if you're walking to God kind of love, He'll do awesome things. So, today, when we pray for people, 
any, if you need anything, if you don't need anything, well then, you know, take you a bunch of CDs and DVDs or videos or whatever and go home and listen to them, pass them out to anybody and learn more so you can walk in this. This is not for just one person in a church. This is for everybody in the church. This is for you. For you can pray the prayer of faith and see God do all these wonderful things. Just think, He took me, just an old engineer, and allowed me to walk through the workplace and and pray and do all these wonderful things. Well, let me tell you, it's wonderful to see the King do these things. Wonderful. And He wants you to do the same thing. He's no respecter of persons. So, and anybody's here today that needs to be healed, if you repent of all of your sins, you make sure all of your unforgiveness is taken care of. I mean, don't let the devil cheat you out of your healing. Because in James 5, 14, 15, did the Lord promise to heal everybody? Well, if you believe you're healed, then do you need a doctor anymore if you believe Jesus? No. Not if you believe Jesus. Is it difficult? When the, I mean, I think about Tommy. Whenever Tommy came over to the ministry center, and I spent about five or six hours with him and his pastor, and prayed for him. And the next day, he called him back. I said, now, I showed him all these things. And after I prayed for him, instantly his carpal tunnel was healed. He had carpal tunnel. He couldn't hardly close either hand. That went away instantly. And he saw that. He could make a tight fist, but he also had cancer. Well, see, he can't see that. And so a couple of days later, he calls and said, I have an appointment at MD Anderson Friday. Should I go? I said, well, it all depends. Do you believe you're healed or not? I said, did you see the Lord heal your carpal tunnel? He said, oh, yeah, my hands are great. I said, well, do you think he's going to just do part of it? Well, I guess not. I said, then you don't need M.D. Anderson. Isn't that amazing? So he said, okay, I'm not going. I said, good, because if you go and you go down, it's going to show unbelief and you're not trusting the king. And I said, you're probably going to still have your cancer. So he didn't go. So a couple of months come and went. He said, I've never felt so good. He was just doing all kinds of things. And they kept bugging him. He called me one day and said, Thurman, M.D. Anderson keeps bugging me. He said, it's impossible for me to be healed. i got to come back down there. And he said, what should I do? I said, oh, well, by this time, you know you're healed, don't you? He said, of course I know I'm healed. I said, okay, go down there and get confirmation. Just let them do a test. Tell them I'm come down and let you guys check me. But I'm going to guarantee you guys I'm healed because I had somebody pray for me in faith. So I know I'm healed. And he went down there and they did. And guess what? No cancer. It was gone. He come to church the next Sunday. On fire. He couldn't hardly talk. You know, he was choked up. It's awesome to see a man, you know, my age, you know, that gets up there and choked up and crying and can't tell you because he's so happy about what Jesus has done for him. Of course, now here's the thing. He didn't realize sin brought sickness and disease. Now, he told me, he said, in the last 10 years, I didn't realize how many places I was missing it with God and how many things I was doing that was wrong. So he said, in the last 10 years, because of my sin, I have spent, of course, insurance company. He had a good insurance company, thank goodness. In the last 10 years, he said, I have spent $1 million in hospitals on this body. $1 million on his flesh. And all he had to do was repent of his sins and believe God, and he wouldn't have to spend any. He said, I should have met you a long time ago. But unfortunately, he didn't. But now then, he's a happy camper because he's not sick anymore and he is healed. And I have people call me all the time from Weatherford and say, you know Tommy, Holiday? I said, oh yeah. 
They said, he said he got healed. I said, oh yeah, he really did. And Christian people, these are Christians. They call and say, well, I, just, I just can't believe God can do these kind of things anymore. Well, if you can't believe the king can do what he promised, then he ain't going to do it for you. He said, if you don't have faith, what's he going to do for you? Nothing. If you have faith in believing, what will he do? Everything. If you walk into God's kind of love and do what he says, no problem. That's when he gives you a blank check. You know, a lot of years I read these awesome promises and I thought, Lord, why do these promises not work? I don't understand this. And then one day I was over here in First Peter and I read this statement. First Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, and by whose stripes you are healed. I thought, Lord, you know, let me meditate on this just a minute. You can't read the Bible, just read it like a novel. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Okay, if he bore our sins on the tree, then he says there, since he bore them, we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. But can we live unto sin? Can you? Is it possible for you to sin? Oh yeah, real easy, isn't it? But you're not supposed to, are you? No. Then why do we as Christians sin so much? Because we forget what He did for us on the cross. So, also, He says that if you will die to sin and live unto righteousness, He said, then, by my stripes, you were healed. Well, what if you don't live to righteousness? What if you do live in sin? Then you don't get your healing. Because look, when I went back up to verse 21, I saw a great principle there. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. In other words, you and I are supposed to live exactly like Jesus did according to that statement. Who did no sin in verse 22. So how much sin are we supposed to have? None. Not a little. None. Who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. So can I talk evil about somebody? What about my ex-wife, if I had one, and she had done me dirty every way in the world? Can I talk evil about her? No, not if I want to walk in hell, right? Can I talk evil about her? Yes, I can if I want to. But it's going to open a door to the devil. It's going to take me out of these promises of God. And it's going to make me sick. Then it says, Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he was reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Wow. Is these tough? Is it tough to walk there? Yes, it is. Then he says, who his own self bear our sins 
in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, and by whose stripes you are healed. So, if you commit yourself to the Lord and you walk wholly in obedience to his word, are you going to sin? No. Are you going to go out and commit adultery? No. Are you going to go out and lie? No. Oh, that just when I said that, let me explain to you how simple it is to get sick. It depends on where you're walking, I know. But the, just a few weeks ago, I don't remember what day of the week it was now, but here a while back, I had got up, I usually get up significantly earlier than Cheryl does, and I go to work. Well, we go to bed extremely early at night. You know, somewhere between 1 and 5 in the morning. You know, that <laughs> extremely early. When I say extremely early, that's extremely early, wouldn't you say? Yeah. 1 to 5. Most normal people have been asleep a long time by the time we go to bed. In fact, one of the guys at the minister center yesterday, he says, do you all ever sleep? <laughs> Dave said, well, we usually put the popcorn out after 12. That's when we usually have popcorn after 12. But anyway, I think it was 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that when we went to bed. And so the next morning about 9, you know, I was up working. And I worked. I did go to the ministry center about 9 o'clock and had a bowl of cereal. And then I went to work. So I'm working and doing things. Well, about 3, 2 or 3, Cheryl gets up and she comes up out there and she's been washing clothes. I don't know what time she actually got up. She usually does the laundry washes and things around the house. But she didn't get over to the minister center until 2 or whatever. She walked in about 2 or somewhere in that neighborhood and she says, have you eaten today? And I said, no. Now, what did I just tell her? I told her a lie. See, I'm thinking, see, it's 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's way past lunch. But she didn't say, have you had lunch? She said, have you eaten today? And I said, no. Because they had already forgotten breakfast at 9 o'clock. I had a bowl of cereal at 9. But I hadn't eaten anything else, and now it's 2 or 3 o'clock this afternoon. Well, I'm about ready for another little snack. You know, I'm working, so I'm ready for another little snack. But she said, have you eaten today? I said, no. She said, well, let's go get something to eat. So we went and had a bite to eat, whatever. And the next, by the evening, I noticed my head began to stop up a little. The next morning, I had appearance of a runny nose. And I said, you devil of hell, you can't do this to me in the name of Jesus, out. Well, the next day it was worse. And the third day it was worse. And I said, devil, you can't do this to me. No curse comes upon me undeserved. Proverbs 26, 2. And I, when I said that, I something just said, you're right. No curse comes upon you undeserved. So you must have sinned. thought, What? I haven't sinned. And I thought, what did I do wrong? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, just as clear as a bell, put this thought in my mind. You lied to your wife. Me? Lied to my wife? I would never lie to my wife. Not intentionally. I thought, Lord, how did I lie to Cheryl? He said, she asked you, have you eaten today? And all these thoughts are coming back to my mind. Okay, yeah, that is what she said. And he said, what did you say? I said, no. He said, do you remember the bowl of cereal you had at 9 o'clock? 
Oh, yeah, that's right. I said, I lied. I opened the door to the devil. I said, Lord, I repent. I repent. I said, now, you devil, you have no power over me in the name of Jesus. Get out. And by the next day, I had driven him out. Isn't that amazing how simple it is to open a door? Did the Lord tell you, gird your loins about with what? Truth. Does that include just a little bitty lie once in a while? If you lie just a little bit, what happens to the girding of your loins about with truth? You got a crack. Now then, in that crack you got here, that Ephesians six sixteen fiery dart. You reckon he could shoot you through that little crack? You better believe he can. That fiery dart can shoot through those cracks. So when God tells us as his children we're to walk with no sin if we want to walk in divine health, did he mean that? Yes, he did. So if we walk in the God kind of love and do everything he says, we don't have to be sick. But if we are sick today and we're here, what do we have to do? Repent of your sins. Make sure you're walking in the God kind of love. And then we pray. We named all kinds of promises today you could stand on, didn't we? I mean, there's many of them. Matthew 18, 19. Two of us on earth agree about anything we ask Him for. He'll do it. Do you think He meant that? Yes, He did. Cheryl and I have used that. There's no telling how many times we've used it together. She's used it when she's out by herself. I've used it when I'm out by myself with someone. No telling how many times we've seen God do awesome miracles on Matthew 18, 19. And Mark 11, 23. Mark 11, 24. John 14, 13 and 14. You know, John fifteen seven, uh, John sixteen twenty three and twenty four, uh, Mark eleven twenty three and twenty four, and then James five fourteen fifteen and sixteen, are all guarantees that if you've got your sins repented of, God will do what He said. But after we pray the prayer of faith, then this one last scripture we're going to cover, and then we're going to quit. The last scripture is in Hebrews ten, and this is the one. That so many people do not understand. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience. Oh, my lands. Oh, there's that word. We have need of pay. Lord, I've got all the patience I can stand. That's us. But he says, yes, you have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive your promise. I don't like patience, do you? But guess who is going to have to learn to endure it? You and me. That's right. Now then... That's why that Dave took Dave a year and a half to get well. And it took Gary Young two minutes to get healed because he got a miracle. But I've seen many healings. Like, for instance, Philip, that's normally here running the camera. Uh, he's out of town this weekend with his wife on a holiday weekend. But Philip is now 22 years old. He was a young man that I prayed for 11 years ago that his body was covered with warts and scars. Many of you have heard that testimony on a tape. But... I prayed the prayer of faith for him that afternoon when I walked out of that house. There was no change. I mean, his warts and his scars were all there. 
But the next morning when he woke up, the warts on the ends of his fingers were gone. And over the next three weeks, every wart all over his body disappeared. And the fourth week, all the scars where they had burned them off was taken away too. So within four weeks, in other words, Philip now is 22 years old. And so when him and his wife stop and talk to people, and they're both just on fire for Jesus. When people say, but Philip, he went to college, he's going to college over here. And they said, but Philip... These things don't work anymore. He said, look guys, you got to me too late. I didn't hear these things second-handed. I was the recipient of a man of God that come over to my mother and dad's house when I was 11, when I was covered with warts and scars. And the Jesus he used to pray for in his name, not only took the warts away, but he took the scars off too. That's a little more than the average person can grasp. What It takes faith to do that, doesn't it? See, the day I prayed that prayer of faith around Matthew 18, 19, when I stood up, I said, Now, I guarantee you all, on the word of the living God, if you'll stay in faith and love, I guarantee all the fellow warts and scars will go away. Now, I've had Baptist preachers tell me when I say, I guarantee God's word, I've had them stand up right in the congregation and point a finger at me, Thurman, you cannot guarantee what God will do. I said, well, when I started guaranteeing what he already said he'd do, I started seeing him do a whole lot more wonderful things. Now, whenever I'd say, well, I'm going to take this magnificent promise and I'm going to pray the prayer of faith for you. Now, if it's God's will, may He heal you. And if He don't, it's just tough. Well, you don't see many healings like that. You know, but when you say, Jesus said, just like I told Dave when I said, I guarantee if you get your sins repented, that we stand on the Word, I guarantee anybody can get healed. Dave also said, you can't guarantee me that. But today he's changed his mind. He's seen it now. He changes his mind. So, all you got to do is repent and believe God and stand on one of these promises. And if you get a miracle, praise God. But if you don't get a miracle, if you stand on His Word, are you going to get your healing? Yes. If you trust Him? Yes. yes. Now, how long is that going to take? We don't know. That's the only thing He didn't tell us. Like this one woman down at Mullen, she come to see me and her husband and she had some kind of a cancer tumors and I taught them no telling how much time I spent with them. I went down there and spent a couple, two or three hours, prayed with them, showed them these things and then they called me on the phone, I don't know, an hour or two, several times and then she said, I want you to pray one more time for me. I'm going to San Antonio for my surgery next Thursday. I said, ma'am, you don't need to go to San Antonio for the surgery. It's done. She said, if God would just send me an angel to tell me it's done. I wouldn't go for the surgery. I said, you have something better than an angel. You have a son of God that's quoting his word, that's telling you what he said. You don't need the surgery. Well, she said, I'm just going to have to go do it anyway. Okay. So she went and they cut her open. And guess what? When they got in there, didn't do another test. Just cut her open. Ain't nothing there. Nothing. Put her back together. She comes home. And about three months later, she called me one day hysterical. She said, Thurman, I was out by the horse barn. They lived out in the country. Out by the horse barn. And I'm praying. I said, Lord, why in the world, if that thing was gone, why in the world did I have to go through that surgery? And she said, he spoke to me. And he said, so you would know you were healed. Isn't that amazing? She come in and called me. She said, Thurman, he told me the same thing you told me. I didn't need it because I was already healed because the Word said it. And she said, I was just praying. They said, I've never heard God's audible voice till today. 
But today, when I'm out there praying, oh God, why did I have to go through that surgery? I can just see the Lord with His little daughter sitting there, and she's asking Him, I can just see her asking Him over and over and over, Lord, why? And He finally said, okay, that's it. So you'll know you were healed, girl. And man, He spoke to her. And He told her, that's why. So she would know that she was healed. But I had been telling her what the Word said all the time. But see, unbelief. You know what the killer, the biggest killer in the church is unbelief. And most of the people, when they see God do something, most people in church still don't believe it happened. Isn't that sad? You've got to stand on the Word. You walk into God kind of love and do what He says. Then when that demon tries to come back upon you, you kick him out. You know where I'm coming from right there, young man. He even starts to put a seizure on you. You say, oh no, you devil of hell. I'm walking in a God kind of love. You can't touch me in the name of Jesus. It is written, Luke 10, 19, 20, i got power over you now. You get out of here in the name of Jesus. Don't you let him do that to you. But don't you dare get off of some kind of sin. Because you get off of some kind of sin, I guarantee he'll be right back to knock your feet out from under you. I have seen that too. I've seen several people get healed of seizures. And then get normal. And for several months or several years, walk in total health. And then one day they think, you know, a little sin wouldn't hurt anything. And they sin. And bam! They, those seizures come right back. And did you know, I don't think I've ever seen one get set free this second time. When they come back and start sinning, and that demon comes back, even though they repent, sometimes with tears. I've never seen one healed the second time. So, when God gives you the options to see His power and hear what He says, and then you go back in sin, sometimes He just won't heal you that second time. It's amazing. So the secret is, don't sin. Walk holy before God. Now then, Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, for those of you that when you get ready to leave this afternoon, if you don't find everything you want back here, down at the end of the hallway down there, there's also some more teachings down there. So whatever you want, just get what you want. It's free. Now, I'm going to uh, close in a word of prayer, and then we're going to pray for people. And you're welcome to stand around and talk a little while or whatever, or minister to each other or whatever, and I'll be here to answer questions as long as somebody's here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for another day to teach your word. Another day, Lord, to bring the word of God forth and to, to bring the understanding of it by the Holy Spirit so that we as your children will learn we're not supposed to sin. We're supposed to walk holy before you. We're supposed to walk in a God kind of love. And Lord, that when we do, you will share your power with us and we can walk in divine health. Father, thank you for the day. And Lord, I'm going to thank you for healing everybody that's here today. In Jesus' name, amen.